You're listening to the Luke Page Podcast, episode number 43, I think it is. Let me check. 40, yeah, 43. Uh, Make sure you click subscribe and so you can stay up to date. I release a new episode every couple of weeks. And if you're not already, make sure you're following me over on Instagram. My um, Instagram username is at Luke underscore Page. Um, today's episode, I've got um, Josh Hardy back, and um, Josh is this is his uh, this is his, his second episode that we've done together. I think he was he was back on episode number thirty one, and um, we were discussing uh, the holistic approach to health. Um, Josh has got a wealth of knowledge, really awesome dude, really authentic guy, really shares a lot what's going on in his life. Um, he has such a different perspective to the average person, so um, I wanted to get him back on. And um, I wanted to um, speak to him about because he's just so into health and everything like that and performance. And he's um, you know, got, got a huge curiosity around the mind and how the body works and everything like that. So I wanted to speak to him about us as business owners, what do we need to do to perform at our peak? So this one is all about the true meaning of peak performance. Welcome to the Luke Page Podcast. I am here to inspire people to live a life that they love. It's why I do what I do. Join me on the pursuit of my life's vision and my own business success through meeting amazing business owners, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking people that are here to make impact and change the world. Ah, she. Meeting recorded. Continue. All right. Okay. Bear with me because I sound like I don't have sound. So I will click this button. Connect my AirPods. Testing. Testing. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's a testing. Can you hear me? You can hear me. What's this? Yeah. Beautiful, man. And can you hear me through this mic as well? Yep. I can hear you. Beautiful. What's going on, mate? Clearing the throat. I'm fucking pumped, man. Welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm super. <laughs> I'm literally super excited. Yeah, mate. Blue room yeah. this time. I think last time you were like dark and purple. Correct. Oh, yeah. you're, at, so this, you're at the gym. Correct. I'm in the office right now, so yeah. um, I painted the office blue because um, that was just we just had lots of blue paint left over. So why buy That's any mate. other paint? <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking? Just straight water. Just water today. Just the just the hard stuff, mate. Yeah, just I'm off. I'm off. Well, I'm off. The, I'm off the coffee. So I off the coffee. So I was like, um, I drink uh, wheat. I have wheat cappuccinos. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, I've got into. I don't know. The last like maybe six months, I've started drinking more coffee. And when I say more coffee, as in I might at the cafe. I don't have them at home. Mm-hmm. But I never mm-hmm. used to, I'd, I'd never drink coffee and maybe I might have one once every two weeks, but I'm probably having about like three or four coffees a week now. Oh, really? Mm. That's really good. I enjoy That's it. Really- I enjoy it. Like when you get a good one, like it's, it's, um, yeah. it's nice, but um, I don't know. It's weird. Like with the, the area that I live in, they don't do good coffee. So I get a mocha, but when I go down to surf, like almost every mm-hmm. cafe down the surf coast make good coffee, what I like. Yeah, nice, nice. So I'll get a cappuccino down there. Do you you drink like the straight stuff? Do you? Yeah, I'll drink. Um, I'll have a long black. I'll have an espresso, or I'll have. Um, I'm, a, I'm still a big fan of bulletproofs. 
actually, 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 the last time I remember now, the last time we chatted, yeah. I had I had just got back into coffees after taking um, uh, 420 days off, so about a year and a half that I did. Yeah, and then just got back into it and just love coffee. I've always loved coffee, back, but mate. back on the coffee train. There's those surges and waves of when it's time to have lots of coffee and when it's not. So yeah, yeah. Do you mean <clears> as in? Uh, throughout the day, certain ways, or as in, uh, in life, like life. those phases in life. Yeah, I yeah. go through. I, I still have those surges when I'm like really in the zone, really wanting to, and then I'm also yeah. then I go through phases where I'm really uh, wanting to put a bit more focus into something else. And at the moment, um, my focus with my own body is actually just to keep it as close to baseline as I can. So I'm actually minimizing lots of inputs and actually um, minimizing alcohol and anything else like that, including coffee, so that my body can just um, reset its own rhythms without any sort of inputs. And so I'm just minimizing coffee for the time being. When you say close to baseline, what's that mean? Yeah, so basically um, the body has a natural rhythm in terms of what it's uh, like, how it operates. So the body likes to wake up at a certain time. And when it wakes up at that certain time, it will produce a certain set of chemicals or what I would describe as like a chemical profile. So i.e. the body likes to actually flood itself full of cortisol early in the morning to actually promote the wakefulness. But then as you start to approach the end of the day, when the sun starts to go down, the body actually stops producing cortisol so that it can start producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. Mm -hmm. And so if we start drinking things like uh, lots of coffee in the afternoon, we're actually triggering another spike of cortisol. So our, our body would have this natural rhythm where there's high cortisol in, in the morning leading up into about midday, early afternoon, yeah. and then taper down. And so if we keep having coffees in the afternoon, we're training our body to have a secondary spike, which means we're actually more stimulated and more alert when we, we go to bed and that affects mm. our deep sleep. So the body has like this rhythm it's actually called a circadian rhythm if you may have heard of it and so that's just an example of what i mean by if the body was not exposed to these external stimuluses like or stimuli such as a coffee it would just follow that natural rhythm that it's that it's designed to follow mm. whereas if i was continuing to take substances of any degree to stimulate me or even to bring me back down at nighttime, then that affects my, bo my body's natural body clock. And so that's what I mean by bringing it back to baseline is that let the body yeah. just internally do, do it how it wants to be. And then it can yeah. do its own natural reset process. So what goes on in your <clears> life when you're like, okay, what's, go what's happening in your life when you're like, all right, now I'm going to be smashing coffee. Yep. Like, what, what's going on? So I will just, I'll just give the, the, the honest example of, of what's brought this onto, into my life at the moment. And in, um, what's brought in, what's brought what? As in why I've decided to go towards uh, going back to a baseline and actually removing these things okay. because that yeah. was, I was actually coming out of a phase of, of lots of coffee. Yeah. And so one thing that I, everyone has their vices and my, my vice was actually smoking a joint or smoking a cone before I would go to sleep. Mm -hmm. And in the lead up to the Ironman, the Ironman race that I did earlier this year, the Ironman 70.3 mm. in the lead up to that, what happens is the training volume gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger leading up to the race. And coincidentally, business just got really, really stressful at that same time. So because I was so highly strung and also super, super fatigued, Yep. I started to drift into having um, when it was time to wind down, I would smoke 
But then what that would happen would affect my sleep. My sleep wasn't ideal. And then I would wake up just that little bit more groggy. And then I would have to train for like two, two and a half hours. And I'd wake up like, oh, fuck, here we go. So I would smash the training session out. And then straight after I would start having a coffee to try and get through the day. So I started in the, in the, in the couple of months leading up to the race, it got to the point that I had started to introduce all this like supplementation, so to speak, by having the weed at night and then having the stimulus, the stimulants in the morning, Mm. which then really threw my natural rhythm out as well. Right. Okay. And so once the race had finished, when I really was allowed to, you know, there wasn't a stressful training program to adhere to and a lot of those problems in business, they just happened to happen. It was just a coincidence. They happened at the same time. I was able to spend more time solving those problems and stabilize the business and so as I was putting this effort into stabilizing the business, I was also putting the same amount of effort into restabilizing myself. And so mm-hmm. in order for me to restabilize myself, I said, okay, I'm just going to remove, I'm just basically, I just call it winter sober is what I'm going to do. So I've just included caffeine into what my own definition of sober, because it's not that I'm trying to, I love coffee. Or I shouldn't be having coffee. It's more of that. I just want to reduce a lot of the inputs that my body's being exposed to so that it just can go back to its natural rhythm. So my focus has been on um, going back to sleep at a, at a rhythmic time or at a similar time each night, um, getting up at a similar time. And as I'm restructuring my new training program, just getting back more into essentially a flow state where it's not yep. so much like wake up in the morning, like, fuck, let's do this. We've got to go like David Goggins kind of mentality, like get the fuck up. We've got to do this. And yeah. then all throughout, all throughout the day, it's like, got to work, got to work. It was very like um, hardcore driven and focused, but it was very exhausting at that time as well. So you're like, so with the joint thing, you were taking, mm-hmm. you were having a joint before you go to bed because you were so wide, you were just like, you know, you're being on, 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 on. So it's like, it calms you down, but because you have the joint, it takes away the, the, the deep sleep. Is that right? Yeah, correct. Correct. So in terms of, um, uh, we have things called sleep cycles. And so basically if you've, if you've ever used, um, I wear a thing called a whoop, which is this band that tracks my sleep, but any track, any sleep track will do it, including an Apple watch or a Fitbit. They actually, you have stages throughout your sleep. Some sleep scientists say you have four stages. Some of us say five, but the concept is that stage one is a very light sleep. So if someone were to like walk past your room while you're asleep, you could probably hear them and would wake you up. But then when you're in your stage four and your stage five, which is what we classify as deep sleep or REM sleep, rapid eye movement is when you're dreaming, Mm. you're so deep in that sleep that someone could knock over a glass and it wouldn't wake you up in the next room. So when you're in those deep, deep stages of sleep, what's actually happening is your conscious mind is essentially shut off. And a lot of your body is actually in a shutdown state so that your mind can do all this deep processing, this deep healing. And also like throughout the day, we're exposed to a lot of things, noises, sounds. We do a lot of activities. We meet different people. We have all these things that we kind of have to mentally digest. And then at nighttime, our brain will then file those away. And that's how learning occurs. And that's why we can only learn so much in a day. We can only retain so much knowledge from, if you read a whole book in a day, it's very unlikely that you're going to remember every single page. But if you were to spread out just a couple of pages a day, it's easy for the mind to kind of file that away at nighttime. So when you're in these deep stages in your sleep cycles, that's when the, the, the true restorative actions occur, including muscle building, including fat loss. And in my case, it was actually repairing my ankles and my joints because I was running and cycling and running and cycling and, uh, and, and also just the stress of the day in my mind had to process that. 
I needed to get into those deep sleep, deep sleep stages. When one smokes marijuana and when people uh, drink alcohol, it mm. doesn't allow you, mm. it prevents you from entering those deeper stages of sleep. And so what happens is you actually stay in this lighter stage of sleep, which means all those recovery processes, they don't actually happen. Your body doesn't really get the full nourishment of those. And um, this is this is really interesting. It's on a podcast um, with Joe Rogan and a guy called Matt Walker, who's a really very, very well-established uh, neuroscientist in the sleep sector. And he was explaining a lot of this and I heard it and then I tried it out myself and I was like, it's hundred percent true, but yeah. the body, the, because the body doesn't, or the mind and the body don't get to run those programs or those processes at night. If someone has smoked or drank the night before, because it actually is an essential part of what we call homeostasis is an essential part of the body being alive. Those processes still need to run, which means what will then happen is the following day, they will run in the background. So that is part of why when we have a hangover, the hangover, the experience yeah. is that we actually feel a little bit more stupid or uh, it, what we call like a bong over. If you smoke the night before, you don't feel as sharp <laughs> as sharp the very next day. And it's absolutely yeah. true. Like I can really feel it's, it's kind of like if you have your laptop and you're trying to do some work, but then you, yeah. you, you've got a program running in the background, like a heavy program, like a, an editing software, Premiere Pro or something like that. If you're running a big program in the background, your computer will slow down. And that's the exact same thing for the mind. If the mind is running another program in the background, it's it's only operating at 80% because the other 20% is trying to catch up from last night that it missed out. And in my case, it was like two to three months worth. And so I had a lot of build up, and um, yeah, it, it really like it almost broke me. I, I, I got through, but mentally I was, I was pretty exhausted after, after that race. And um, which is why I've got this focus on um, getting my body back to nourishment, getting my mind back to nourishment and, and getting back into the rhythm that I just love that I, excuse me, that I love to be in. Nice man. Um, is there, are you like a believer that marijuana has um, a lot of benefits that we don't know about? Is that, is that a marijuana mm-hmm. plant in the background, by the way? Hey, uh, <laughs> Part of me says I wish it would be, but um, it would actually be highly distracting in the workplace if I had a giant <laughs> marijuana plant growing in the background. But actually, I do love greenery, not because of the marijuana smoking. I love greenery because I just grew up in the hills. Yep. I was a, I was a hills kid growing up, which also contributed to marijuana making it into my life at a very early stage because yep. the, cl- the classic thing is the hills kids are stoners. So what's it do for you? Like what so, do you see as in? Because I mean, obviously you're a dude that you know, you're massive on health and performance. Yeah. So like, what's it do for you? Yeah. So mine actually comes back from when I started when I was 15. And so originally, like, it's an interesting journey in terms of like what Josh went through as a teenager to where he is now. But Josh as a teenager was very insecure. He was very lost, but he was also like a loud and talented kid. And so based on who I was as a person, I was your classic ADD personality, but also in the athletic space, I had so much energy that I used to just, you know, quote unquote, fuck shit up. So I was really established there, but socially it was quite challenging for me to, um, uh, it was more socially challenging for people to keep up with me because I was that classic rapid ideas, high energy kid. And I was, I was so much for a lot of people that um, in a social environment, I didn't really have a proper place. I was still seen as like a popular kid because um, I was fit, I was healthy, I was charismatic, but 
I was too much for a lot of people. And so that led me into a space where I started hanging out with kids that were older than me. And then I started doing drugs because that made me cooler than the kids that were in my school. So emotionally speaking, uh, marijuana was one of the very first things that felt like it gave me a space in, in a social scenario. But then also what the fascinating thing in how I first saw it actually serving me in terms of performance is that when I, I, was, a, I was a soccer player when I was growing up yeah. and I was like, I was the kid. I was, the nickname was last man standing. I was always the last person standing because I would just run and 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 run. And all the kids would be like lying on the floor and I'd be running and running and running and running and running. <laughs> but then also what would happen is that Get I would- Hey, ADD. I I would I would I call myself undiagnosed ADD. Yeah, that's what I say I, as well. Yeah, I I've never same thing. I never um I never really believed in it, and my my parents yeah. never really wanted me to go down that route. So, uh, luckily, like I just I channeled all of my energy into sport. But without yeah. sport or without a day that I was unable to exert myself, it's actually yeah. still true. I'm a pain in the ass to everyone because I'm just I'm too much. I need to kind of diffuse myself a little bit, <laughs> and so. What was happening with um, with my soccer, my style of soccer playing was actually like, do you know how um, greyhounds work in terms of them being called a sight hound? Those animals, when, when you look at the greyhounds, they you know that little rabbit thing that shoots off and then they just yeah. sprint for it. Mm. What a, the, a greyhound is classified as a sight hound and a sight hound is an animal that when they see something, the blood flow actually rushes to their eyes and they lock onto something and chase it. But what happens is that blood flow then comes away from the brain and other working parts of the body. And they just like hyper-focus on this thing. And that was me in the soccer field where I would just see the ball and I'm like, ball! And they would get the ball and I'm like, goal! And I would just like, I would bulldoze and I would charge people. And so what ended up happening once I was starting to become reasonably established in the field at when I was about 15 and 16, I started, I was by then smoking weed. And then I would actually, I started going to my soccer training sessions stoned and what had started to happen that the, my life was like, when I would look at my thoughts, everything was just a spinning blur. And when I started to smoke weed, it actually slowed my mind down enough that even I could comprehend what was going on inside my head. And so when I started smoking, it actually slowed me down to the point that I could actually analyze my environment. And then I would run into space. And I'm like, okay, here's the, like, there's a the guy with the ball. I'd yell his name. He would pass me the ball. I would receive it. And I'd be like, there's a guy here behind me. There's a guy to my left and there's a guy in front of me. And I could just, I kind of felt like I was in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember one of my first training sessions I rocked up stone to, I was just, I was doing really well. And then they just sent me straight over to the first team. And I'm like, we want you to play first team. But then I also had a, fucking attitude and i was like nah first team that they, they try too hard so fuck those guys and so i also had a terrible attitude in terms that it was just like a, i kind of developed this big ego structure in terms of you know i'm so cool i do drugs and i go to a catholic high school and fuck all the other kids and i'm better than them and so then psychologically speaking i thought i was better than everyone so i also had that i stayed down the drug abuse um, route instead of pursuing the athletic career in soccer. But when I was 16, I kind of hit that turning point where they were offering me to, to play with the rest of the first team, which is the guys that were getting played, not a lot of money, but they were getting paid to play. And they were also, you know, 21, 22, all the way upwards to about the early thirties. That's the, 
you know, the, the state level in, in WA is what I was moving towards, but mm. I was like, nah, fuck those guys. I just want to smoke cones and just crush under 18. So I actually played, <laughs> I played for the under 18s from 16, 17 and 18, instead of actually yeah. doing a season with the under 18s. And then as a 17 year old, go playing with the 21s and stuff on moving forward. But that was the first time that smoking weed had actually uh, served me in a way that I actually got a benefit out of. But then it was kind of this like, uh, not a double crossroad, like a parallel road, a parallel pathway that I followed that I continued to smoke weed for it's, I've been smoking weed for, um, well, since I was 15, I'm 28 now. So that's 13 years. So a lot of time. And it's just been through so phasic in my life that it's, it's been my regulator in terms of instead of taking dexamphetamines, smoking weeds, what I've always done instead of that. And smoking weed has always has allowed me to be super creative. It's allowed me to really become a, a tap into my my visionary personality in terms of, mm. um, you know, I just I'm a big dreamer. I've always been a big dreamer, even in yep. in in real life. When I'm talking about and when well, I like, actually, how much are you on? having? You just like you're not smashing bongs. You're having like a little joint, and then you're like, and and what's the when you say oh. creator? You're sitting down and going, oh, I'm figuring out my my business plans over the next three <laughs> months. Let's have a smoke. Like, what are you what are you doing? What's a typical situation when you have it? Um, it, it goes through phases. Uh, it goes through phases, but for the last 18 months, it's been quite heavy, heavy use, definitely in the abuse side. But uh, again, I, I'm definitely one of those, um, one of the coaches calls me an anomaly is that the fact that I've been able to do so much and still smoke so much weed. And it's been my only vice that I've really struggled to let go of. And um, so it's been pretty much since COVID happened. So end of, uh, so basically new year's last year, I was saying to myself, beginning of 2020, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to quit smoking weed because I'm like, I'm sick of like falling back into the hole. I've really been struggling with this mentally for the last couple of years. So kept falling back into that hole. And then New Year's, I was like, all right, Josh, I'm going to take six months off. And I committed, I was committing mentally to six months off so I could just focus on the gym and focus on getting the business right. And then what ended up happening was I just, I keep going through these cycles where I like go full cold turkey and saying, no, not going to do it. But then I get so stressed out that I'm like, what the fuck? How do I relax? And I just, I enable my stress by not allowing myself my vices. And so I got to the point where it was about a Saturday night. It was about mid-March. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's Saturday night. There's actually nothing stopping me from going to get a mat, like smoking a joint and having a massage. Like that's actually going to serve me rather than being like, oh, I can't smoke weed and getting super stressed about it because I don't like drinking alcohol. I haven't been drunk in over a decade. Mm. Never been a big drinker. And so with the, with taking this time off, um, smoke weed, I was like, you know what? I'm going to cap it at pretty much three months. I'm just going to have a spliff and have a massage. And it was the most beautiful thing ever. It was so good for me. I came back to work and I was so much more grounded and more composed when I entered the workplace. And then the next weekend, it was Sunday, the 23rd of March. They were like, oh, COVID's hit. We're going into a three month lockdown. I was like, okay, well, mm. I ain't fucking not going to smoke weed during this time. And then so I ended up buying an ounce and um, got back into regular smoking during um, during that lockdown phase because I wasn't going to work. I wasn't driving anywhere. So I would just wake up in the morning. I would train. I just took a bunch of gym equipment home. And then I basically got into this cycle where I was, um, I would wake up, I would train for about an hour, do, do some weights and then just work as, as like till about mid afternoon. And that was basically my work day done. And then somewhere around about four or five o'clock, I would then have a smoke and then just put my feet up and chill out and relax. And then I just did that. There was no such thing as a weekend. It was just every single day. I was just in this 
train work smoke cycle. And I really enjoyed it, but I had then habituated all of these tendencies to train, uh, train, work, smoke, train, work, smoke, train, work, smoke, and got into it. And, and the reason I haven't really, um, up until now, the reason I've really struggled to let go of it is that, um, there is so much of weed that does serve me. And I always, I look at, you know, you look at the Rastafarians and that's, it's a literal religion based on smoking weed. And mm-hmm. these guys smoke weed till the day they die. And there's so many case studies of, there's just proven concepts of people that just smoke weed their whole life. And they're actually quite fine and they don't have lung in- issues and they don't have respiratory issues. So there's all this facts and data about people that are having lots of health issues when they smoke. And there's all these facts and data about people who have no health issues when they smoke. And my granddad was, my granddad was one, my granddad smoked cigarettes uh, from 16 to 60 and he drank alcohol every day from 16 to the day he died and he died of old age. And so he actually had no organ failure. And so I'm not, this is not a message for anyone to go out there and just start smoking themselves to hell or anything like that. It's more of um, being, being flexible with your own belief systems to kind of um, take both a subjective and an objective view at yourself and who you are and, and what works for you. And I will openly say that weed does work for me, but only in moderation. And which is why right now I'm actually tapering back because I'm like, oh, I've fallen back into the abuse cycle again. And um, I have a lot of things in my life that I um, have started to identify as to why um, I've been struggling to get low, uh, to, to let go of smoking so much weed. And a big part of that is actually my total stress management. And we still have debt with this gym and um, we're constantly, literally, I don't know if you've heard the news, but we're back in lockdown again. So the WA, whole gym, is. Oh, yeah? WA is back in lockdown as of, they, yeah, they put a notice out at 8.30 last night. Yeah. And so I was like, fuck, here we go again. So, um, you know, times are tough. Business is still stressful and and there's a lot of, um, we're still repaying a lot of debts from some endeavors that we had earlier on with some business maneuvers that didn't move forward, which was part of, you know, how you and I met when we were moving down the online coaching route and we're trying a few different business models on that. That'll cost a lot of money, um, which we're still, we still haven't recovered from as well. And so, I originally thought that I wasn't going to be able to really tackle this weed smoking thing um, until after these debts paid off because financial stress is my personal Achilles heel when it comes to um, what really, what really pulls me back and what messes me up. And so the financial stress of this business has been this kind of just this like grim undertone that I've been kind of carrying on my shoulders for the last, you know, four and a half years now. But in saying that I've had, um, I've got a spring in my step in terms of just the the progress I've made with myself personally, which mm-hmm. is why I'm actually getting a head start on that now. I'm like, oh, actually, I feel like I'm really maturing into a new phase of life where I am able to find a bit more harmonization with the the weed smoking and actually focusing on what I want to do with my life and my business and my career. Out of like say ten, yep, based this ten's like the healthiest you've ever been. Yep, obviously one's really sick. Yeah. Where do you feel in your life right now that you feel health-wise? 100% of 10. 100% of 10. It's so interesting because like, you know how you said like, say the Rastafarians, it's, you know, it's a culture, you smoke weed, mm. you die something. Mm. It's just interesting because like, depending on where you live is what, like what name weed gets ultimately, you know, I've grown up yeah. with, um, yeah. you know, in Australia, weed's illegal, it's bad stuff, but yep. I, I, um, and I used to smoke when I was like younger at school and things like mm-hmm. that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like as in we're in 2021, it, it seems like, uh, and my dad's got brain, uh, she's got, he's got brain cancer. Yeah. So I, yeah, one of my, my good mates died from a brain cancer and he went, he was seeing all the doctors and doing the chemo and shit like that. Nothing was working. Mm. And he went like, basically, um, he basically went on his own path to find out how do I beat this thing? And he, he, yeah. he basically didn't listen to any of the doctors and he did alternative medicine and like, um, you know, mm. weed and uh, the CBD oil and all that type of stuff. Uh, I think it's THC. Like he started yep. going to yep. that and all these other alternative medicines. Um, and I mean, he ended up passing away, but what he had, they, the average person dies like within uh, 12 months. He, he survived for like seven and a half years. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, and it was purely because he did his own thing and he, a big part of it was the CBD oil. Um, yeah. And I yep. just think it's like, I don't know. I'm just like more curious about it these days. I think yep. it was like you're growing up, weed's bad. It's the worst thing in the world. But now mm. I'm, I'm kind of thinking uh, there's something to, there's something to it that we, that, you know, people aren't telling us. Yep. Um, yep. What was my, what was my original question around that? You were talking about, um, just weed itself and, and at, like there is so many benefits to it. And if I may just yeah. kind of add in a mild segue that may be interesting that to the it, listeners yeah. who actually may be interested in terms of um, alternative benefits of marijuana and, and CBD and THC. So I'm not like a, um, I'm just a, call me a, a cultured smoker, which is I, I know what I know, but I don't know the, the finer um, details of these, but there is, um, there's basically three components to the marijuana plant in terms of you got, um, I think it's THCA and THCB or THC1 and THC2 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But you've got, it's two to one. There's, there's either two, two THC components and then one CBD component or vice versa, two CBDs. But whatever it is, THC is what's considered the psychoactive ingredient that actually gives us that that high and that feeling mm-hmm. of being stoned. Whereas CBD doesn't have that psychoactive ingredient, which is that's why CBD is used medically is because you know, we had there are stories of people that have smoked weed and gone a little bit crazy and it's kind of fried a fuse that's been hard to repair. And so that does happen. And, um, you know, and that's why I said earlier that people need to kind of figure out what works for them. But in terms of CBD, every... Um, every plant has kind of a strain to it and kind of a, a profile to it, which means it has uh, different styles of, of healing benefits as per se, kind of like um, if you look at wine, wine has a different, if you has a different aroma to it, has a different taste to it when talking about red wines and they have a different body to it and all these different full flavor profiles, mild um, flavor profiles. It's a very similar concept with, um, with weed. There is a thing called a terpene, which is spelled T-E-R-P-E-N-E, a terpene. And it's, I believe a terpene is the literal molecule that um, is used for scent. So when we actually smell something, we're not smelling thin air. It's actually terpene molecules like traveling through the air that are coming from the flower or coming from anything that smells. And then that's the actual terpene molecule actually hitting our nostril. And that's what we're processing as the information. And so all marijuana plants, as do all plants, they have a terpene profile. Terpenes are probably mostly discussed in the, in the, in the perfume world, but you can actually Google this. Just, you just go on Google images and you type in um, uh, marijuana terpene profile or, or terpene chart. And there's a few charts out there and it kind of looks like a color wheel. And there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of terpenes called like, um, there's one that's called linalool, 
and there's one that's called pinene. Um, there's one called, uh, it sounds like citrus, but it's basically the citrus um, uh, smell. And so basically anything that has more of a citrus profile is like more uplifting and uplifting is really good for, I believe, um, uh, focus and concentration. And I think uh, helping people deal with anxiety as well. And, and then you can look at things, I believe linalool is the, what's, what comes out of lavender. That's the lavender style smelling profile. And f- for the record, people have like essential oils and stuff. It's the same style of approach with essential oils as there is with um, terpene profile on smoking marijuana is that you have like the more relax relaxation based ones. You have more um, focus based, based ones. You have more um, aphrodisiac style things, same as teas. They all have the yeah. same, the, the profile um, definition is pretty much the template is the same for all these different things. But in the, in America, you can actually go to these dispensaries and you can actually based on whatever your, um, your medical diagnosis is what you're struggling with, whether it's depression, anxiety, or it's whether it's ADD, you mm. can actually mm. get a specific style of, um, you, you can choose your strain of plant, which is relative to what will serve you. And um, that's what, that's where it would, it would be nice as a culture for us to be at in the same way that, you know, there's different alcohols for different occasions. It, yeah. It's actually more ideal that, you know, in, in WA at the moment, we just get whatever we get off the street. And it's usually whatever the bikies have managed to get through. And basically we're just, we're getting street drugs, but if it gets to the point, and I believe it will, you get to the point where it becomes more, once it becomes more regulated, that actually opens the door for us to get it uh, to actually have more of a responsible relationship with this so-called drug, which again, is just a plant, which we all agree with, but by being able to have that, it means that we can actually can harvest stronger relationships with this plant as just a tool in use for everyday life and people who are legitimately dealing with cancer or any sort of terminal illness or any sort of ailment that's holding them back that the current medical system is failing to serve right now. And okay. so if people are interested, just give terpenes a Google. It's quite, it's quite an interesting read. And, um, but the, for someone who is from Perth WA, and I think this is pretty common across the board in Australia, um, it's quite hard to request a specific strain of plant. And it's, it's quite hard to kind of find your terpene profile in Australia because we're not there yet. We're, we're not there yet as a society. Mm. <clears throat> so when I asked before, is it what scale are you along, you know, you said you're 10 when it comes yep. to health. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I find like from my my beliefs and everything growing up, um, I just find it interesting that say you're doing the Ironman and then you're coming yep. home and then you're smoking a joint. Like how does yep. it, I mean, this is just what's been fed into my mind over the years. Yeah. It's like, well, if you, yep. if you can't be healthy, if you're smoking marijuana. Yeah. So like, is that just a load of shit? Is that, is this what we've been told? <sighs> no, nah, it's not like, look, smoking dopes, like, the, the, the lungs love oxygen and the lungs love fresh air. That's the end. Mm. And by smoking cones is, is quite toxic for the lungs to experience. That's a hundred percent true. And, um, you know, even at the moment I've only, I'm back to smoking just once on a weekend. I'm, I'm back to vaping as well. Cause vaping is much more of a pure smoke. You're actually only inhaling the vapor of the THC, um, molecules as opposed yep. to just burning the plant and the leaf itself. But at the end of the day, there may be someone listening to this podcast be like, this is a fitness guy and he's smoking weed and blah, 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 blah. 
But everyone, whether they're aware it or not, is abusing themselves in, in one way. They're either abusing themselves with fast food. They're abusing themselves with being stressed. They're abusing themselves by sleeping five hours a night. They're abusing themselves by not taking a holiday after working years and years and years on it. They're abusing themselves psychologically by just telling themselves they're a piece of shit, but they're not actually externally verbalizing and pretending like everything's all fine. Everybody has a vice. And I'm not, I'm not a guru. I'm, a, I'm, I'm yet to be proven wrong, but everyone has a vice. Everyone has at least one thing that do that fucks them up internally, which takes them away from peak performance and takes them away from being super healthy and takes them away from being um, very centered within themselves. And for me, mm. my abuse is literally smoking dope. That's cool, and man. Yeah, yeah, I go I go through phases where I, you know, and this was my cycle. I would pull back from smoking dope, and then I would just fucking work and work and yeah. hustle and grind. And then I'm like, oh, I fucking hate myself. And then I would just smoke smoke some weed. And I'm like, oh, that's mm. nice. And then I'll go through the cycle over and over and over and over again. And and I've just been going through that loop for the last couple of years. But everyone everyone abuses themselves in in some way. And a lot of the most common ones are fast food, coffee, work, and stress. <laughs> Mate, I love how you put it put it that way because it, it is. It's so true. Like we've all got something wrong with us, yeah. But yeah, then it's like, yeah. you know, you got the the healthy people where it's like they eat right and they put everything in their body right, and then they're yep. judging maybe yep. you for having yep. a joint, but then yep. maybe their relationship is really toxic. Toxic, yep. Yep. you know what I mean? Yep. So, yep, you're exactly yep. right. There's so many facets to what contributes to us as a human being. Whether it's mm. mentally, we have we have a mental health protocol excuse me, we have a physical health protocol, we have an emotional health protocol, and we have a spiritual health protocol. And if any of these are out, or three of them may be going great, but then the one behind the doors can be can be out. But it, it kind of seems so far from my uh, philosophical views on life, it feels as if there always actually has to be something wrong in everyone's life. And it's, it's a hard thing to say, but I've never met anyone where hundred percent of their life is going great mm. and hundred percent of their health is going great or hundred percent of their psychology is going great. It's, you know, and you know, without going on too much of a philosophical tangent, which I'm really into, but um, it's as if everything is just the way it is and everything is just a matter of perspective and like no- nothing is really good or bad because for me, where I am right now, people legitimately look at me and like, fuck, I would love to be where Josh is. I'd love to be having a gym like Josh. I would love to be as fit as Josh is. And here I am abusing myself with smoking cones, blah, 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 blah. But that means that that is part of my recipe to get me to where I am exactly right now. And if someone aspires to be where I am right now, I'm not saying that they should be smoking heaps of weed because again, they're not me, but maybe they should consider just accepting some of their faults because that's also a big part of what I've done. And by accepting that I'm fucking addicted to abusing myself with smoking weed has allowed me to look at the reality of the situation and be go, okay, I need to be a bit more honest with myself and I need to be a bit more relaxed and be like, you can't smoke for six months. You can't smoke for three months. It's more like, all right, what can we do? And I've gone back from smoking every day and then I took a night off and then I took two nights off and then I smoked on a Wednesday and then that was all right. And then I took Thursday off. And then, so I just kind of, I was just like, you know what? And, and what my actual decision was is when June the 1st hit, I just put on, I use this habit share app where I track all my habits and it's just like mark them off as red or green. I just wrote a new habit called sober winter. And all I wanted to do was just accumulate as many days as I could sober. And that included the moment I had a drop of alcohol, 
then I'm not sober. The moment I had a drop of caffeine or coffee, not sober. The moment I had smoked any sort of weed, not sober. And I didn't do, I had no intention other than just to track. And that was my very first step is just to make sure that I was aware of what I was doing each day. And I've gone from like a 0% sober winter to um, I think at about 65% now so far for the month. So you're, so this started on 20, so this, this you're 29 days in, is that right? Correct. On the Correct. first day. Yeah. And when you say you're 65%, as in 65% of the time you've stepped. Of, of, stepped yeah, to- 65% of those 29 days is how many days I've been sober. And, you know, even Sunday, which was two days ago, mm. I just went out with the friends. We went to a place in the city called Meat and Wine Co. Great place. But yeah, obviously, it, meat, meat and wine coat ends up, there's going to be a wine, wine. wine involved because they pair your food with wine. And so, right. even though I didn't smoke and I never, I haven't been, I fucking never drink, but I was like, I still marked off that I had a glass of wine and that's still a sober. So, oh no, I'm at 50, 57%. There we go. Yeah. So, if, you can see this because we're on a Zoom call, but you can see the reds and the greens. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. about, about so, halfway there. So, it's, if it's like, if you have a joint, if you um, if you have alcohol, if you have coffee. Yep. Yep. What, what else? will mark down as you don't pass for the day. Uh, for me, that's it. They're really yeah, the, only, three the, only three, the only three things. And so I've got no coffee, I've got no coffee in there, um, but I will occasionally, even though I actually haven't, um, when I do my training sessions, I have, uh, it's called a, like a race gel. It's just like basically there's just a goo, like a liquid goo of just sugar. And you just, when you're running, if you're doing a long run, you can just suck on this gel and get some sugar into you. And some of them have caffeine, like 25 milligrams of caffeine. So I'm not going to mark that as like, I'm not sober because I just had a caffeinated, um, drink, uh, caffeinated, um, like gel just yeah. to get me, get me through like my two hour run or something. So that's, yeah that's caffeine. I'm okay with that. Cause that's part of my training program. But in terms of my own definition for this particular phase, it's like when I'm deliberately using something to um, pull me off my baseline to kind of get through and whether that's deliberately using something like smoking weed to, to feel relaxed, then I'm actually kind of breaking my own psychology by not allowing myself to relax normally. Nice man. Um, well, we could probably start talking about the, your peak recommendations for the peak peak performance. Oh man, I was actually I mean, thinking then I'm yeah, make, go you got, are you got to go at half past. Mm-hmm. I got heaps of time. Man, this is like a separate episode. It all yeah, makes- I know. Yeah. Well, no, nah, I'm pretty crazy because um, uh, I've got I've got a sales call at um at eleven o'clock, which is in fifty minutes time. But the whole we're in lockdown, so the gym's empty. So I've basically yeah. got got a lot of free time at the moment. So that's a positive of it. Yeah. But, okay. Um, I've I've got a lot to share, but whenever you feel like you need to cut me off, just cut me off and say so we can wrap it up. Yeah. Sick. All right. Um. So you know, with that little tracker thing that you you had there, is that that's just like some tracker app? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an app called Habit Share just habit share in one word and it's by yeah. a guy called luke bixton oh, he's just some random dude yeah. uh cool cool name though luke uh he's got a um yeah he just made an app and it's called habit share and the reason we use it i don't know who found it one of the guys one of the team found it and um we just did it because we want to track our habits but the app is pretty self self-explanatory it's called habit share which means you just set your own habits but then you can share it with all of your other friends so i can if you and i were friends Yep. When you when you set your habits, you just say which habits would you like to share with Josh, and you go boom, 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 and then at mm. any point in time, I can just I can look at your account and I can just see what habits you're marking on and off. So you can actually track right. habits privately or whatever. But as yep. a coach, when I get my clients and when we do our things like our 28 day challenge in the gym, everyone's on habit share. 
Gotcha. So I could say, I could write creating new habit that no swearing. And then as soon as yep. I go through the day and I notice I swear, I'm like, all right, that mark's red. Yep. But if I get through the day and I haven't sworn or I'm not aware of it, that's a yep. green. Exactly right. See that You can actually see me passing or not getting yep. through the day. It, yeah, exactly right. Really simple app. The yep. biggest challenge of habit share is using the app itself is mm, you have to get into the habit of using a habit <laughs> tracking app, which is a yep. complete irony in itself. And I don't know if you can see this again, but at the very bottom center of my phone, that green tick, that's yeah. my, it's right there on my homepage. And I actually, someone DM me, some, just some dude from England, just wanted someone that follows me. is just like, hey man, like I see you putting all your habits and tracking everything on your, on your Instagram story and stuff. Like, what would you recommend? And I, I sent him a screen recording and I said, bro, make sure that if you use this app, put the icon in the front center of your home screen as a constant reminder that you have to use this daily. Like the app itself is what you need to be using before you consider tracking habits. So you basically, I mean, you've got to get through the day. So what do you do? Do you fill it in at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, I'm in a pretty good rhythm now because I've I've been, you know, for anyone that does follow me on, on on Instagram at the stage of this recording is that I'm at 831 days of doing my cold shower and I post that cold shower every day on my Instagram You're still story. doing that? Yeah, it's still happening. <laughs> so oh, it's, yeah. I haven't stopped. I'll tell you, Man. we're in winter at the moment. It's fucking cold. But um, it, the, the cold showers are great. It, it, they're actually better in winter, just as a side note, because in summer, I actually do feel like I'm wasting water because they're not really that cold. But mm. winter, I actually get something out of it. And the shower is so cold that kind of like my whole body goes so numb that I can't <laughs> feel it. <laughs> but then getting out of the shower, it's actually quite warm because the contrast yeah. of the atmosphere is warmer. So yeah. Um, but in order for me to post on my Instagram story, I need to know what number it is. I actually, even though I'm at 8.31, the only reason I remember I'm at 8.31 is because yesterday was like 8.30 and it was a nice round number. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm at 8.30. But I actually, in my Instagram story, I write cold shower number uh, number 8.31. And then when I do another thing called daily cars, I'm at day 240 something. And then so mm -hmm. I actually have to go onto my habit share to, to see what number I'm at so that I can post it on my story. So uh, psychologically, I'm a bit more anchored to my story. That's what I do. Instagram story post every day. And then that reminds me to go back on habit share because I'm like, oh, what fucking, what number is that? And so I'm always onto my daily cars and I'm always onto my cold showers. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like the fact that you've done 831 cold showers. Yeah. I would have thought that because like you said, you're on 56% with your weed, alcohol and coffee. Yeah. Yep. I would have thought that because you're so disciplined in doing that, that yeah, surely you're going to be like at a hundred percent. Do you feel like, like say for example, you went to meat and wine co. Yeah. Are you like consciously going, you know what? I'm just going to let myself have this. Or are you like, you don't even have control. Like where are you at when you kind of this, not following through? Uh, this is a very, this is a really good question. And um, it may be actually worth uh, kind of segueing towards what my definition of peak performance is. Cause I've been thinking about this a lot, but um, to answer your question, I'd have to kind of explain my mindset around my body and my mindset around my mind. Yeah. And then that will kind of indirectly answer the whole meat and meat and wine co things. So if I may, I'll kind of share my definition of peak performance. Yeah, man. Go. Yeah. And um, I've just been excited to get into this point because I've been thinking about it all week since you hit me up about talking about it. But I realized that um, for me, as like a functional strength coach, as like an athlete and also someone that just stresses a lot. 
peak performance is actually a bit of a paradox. And when we think about peak performance, it's all about, um, you know, going to the apex of something or winning the Olympics or kind of doing it's, it's the words associated with the words peak and performance are more around like reaching the top, going super, super hard and full exertion. But what I've come to realize is that peak performance is actually more about composure and peak performance is actually about, it sounds a bit cliche, but going with the flow and thinking in terms of like more of that King energy archetype, like it, the King is, the king is more at his peak performance or the king or the queen, they're sitting at their throne and they are at peak performance because all their resources are topped up. They're at peak performance because they are sitting there, they're fully energized, they're fully present and they feel so strong that they feel calm. They feel so safe that they feel calm. And what happens is when we start our day, we generally like, like discipline is a finite resource but it renews when we wake up if we have a good sleep and mental endurance is a finite resource, but it renews once we wake up and our concentration, our fatigue levels, they, this is what I was talking about earlier. These, these, the natural rhythm that our body has to be more energized in the morning. And, and as we drift off and everyone has a different template, you know, if you've heard of a sleep chronotype test, you can have someone who's a night owl and night owls like to stay up all night and do work. And some people like to crash early, but they get up early. So we have What's a natural test, man. Uh, the sleep chronotype test, uh, C-H-R-O-N-O-T-Y-P-E chronotype. I haven't done it uh, in a while, so I don't know what the best links are, but I think they're all the same. Just Google sleep chronotype. There's can, only I quickly four- ask, can I quickly ask a question that I meant to ask at the start of this? Yeah, go for it. While we're talking about sleep. Are you, have you remembered what you're going to talk about, by the way? Yeah, I have yet. Um, what time do you go to bed and what time do you wake up and why? Yeah. Great question. So I used to be, um, I used to love getting up super early. And then what actually happened when I got into Ironman mode is that I basically, I was so exhausted that I started staying up till like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, sometimes one o'clock. Cause I was so unstimulated and I was, I was so exerted that I was missing my happiness. And then I started sleeping less, but because of my current regime is I've just done that half Ironman and when you're training for a half Ironman or a full Ironman or any endurance sport, training sessions are big and they're six days a week and they're two sessions a day. And so it's just fucking exhausting trying to keep up with it. So the last like six months, I've had a heavy fluctuation of waking up because, you know, there's examples of, I would have to, if I had to be at the gym at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning to run a seminar, this actually happened. I had to, I had to get up. I had to get up at fucking 2 a.m., I think I got up at 1.30 and I was like, I had to do a 105 kilometer bike ride through the hills. And then I had to do like a one hour run. So it was about a five hour training session that I had to do. And then I had to finish that training session, get showered, have some food and then get prepared for the seminar at 9am. So um, there are some days that you just got to bite the bullet and just get up Mm. ultra early and fucking hustle. But then there are some days that you just got to skip training because the body is so fatigued. So, but generally speaking, I like to be asleep by about 9 30, 10. At the moment, ideally, it's 9 30, be in bed by nine, asleep by 9 30, and then waking up somewhere between six and 7 a.m., depending on what, uh, what time I need to train. Because another thing with um, triathlon training is that um, getting up early in the morning, you want to, in summer, you want to beat the heat. And also you want to beat the traffic. So if I'm cycling, a lot of my rides are a couple hours and which means you, I want to be riding. So 
because of that, I actually nap quite a lot during the day now so I can sleep less at night and then catch up on sleep and segmentally throughout the day so that mm. I can, so I can, so I can manage my fatigue. And that's, that's just one of the things that if you're an endurance enthusiast like me, then that's something that just has to be done because I'm still, yeah. I'm still at the gym to, you know, seven, eight o'clock at night, some nights as well, just yeah. training clients or working with members. So, but generally like sleep is so important that sleep trumps a lot of these flash recovery things. Like you can go to a fucking cryo chamber and you can go to float tanks are great. You can do all these things, you get massages and all that, but don't ever sacrifice anything other than sleep. Your sleep is the number one hierarchy in terms of recovery and energy management. Mm, they're like almost like you get your basics down right, but then there's sleep is, a yeah. tiny little percentage on top that can help. But if you're not yeah. sleeping and you you jump yep. in the float tank thing yep. and then it's gonna recover, it's not gonna work. Yep, yeah, yeah. Sleep honestly, sleep's about eighty percent of the whole yeah. the whole recovery pie. So are you have you got an alarm in the morning or are you just waking I, up? I do, I do, yeah. I've got uh, I've got two alarms. So I only have one alarm one actual like beep, 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 beep. I have one alarm and that's my phone that is charged away from my bed. So I have to physically get up. And that means that th- that is a habit getting out of bed and turn the alarm off. And it's also a habit to not get back into bed. Mm. And so 98% of days, I just get up and get in that fucking cold shower. And that's, that's something that I've trained in terms of discipline and, and habits. And, and my body actually now likes to do that. Um, but some mornings when I'm just feeling depleted, I'll, I'll go lay back in bed. I'm not going to fight myself if I really feel like I need to just lay down for a little bit longer. Yeah. And so, so yeah, go on. Are you, so are you basically, cause you don't have a set alarm. Are you, depending on what time you go to bed is you go, okay, well I, I want yeah. eight hours sleep and then you yeah. plus it. Yeah. I'll, I'll adjust it. Cause I, I also, um, I'm an early riser, but I have waves of being a night owl. And this is why I'm actually keen to do the test again, just to reassess where I'm at because I'm starting to show two different personality style or two different sleep styles in terms of um, I have waves where I'm just like on, I am on and I'll be on, on the laptop till like 10 o'clock, 1030, just doing emails or brainstorming. And I won't, and I won't be high when I do this. I'm just like really hardcore focus on the work. I'm building websites or whatever it's on my mind at that time. If there is a surge to work, I will do it. And so if that happens, then I will then just adjust my morning, uh, like according to that, Beauty is, is that I am a health guy. So I'm really clued on to what the body needs and I've been doing myself for so long. I'm also very clued on to what my body needs. So I'm very good at making my adjustments without kind of ruining my routine, but also I'm a self-employed entrepreneur and it's kind of like a golden ticket to be an endurance athlete. And it's a bit of a golden ticket to kind of live the life I have because I technically do have extreme flexibility. What that does mean is I need extreme accountability because otherwise I can, it's so easy for me to do fucking nothing all day. And so, you know, I do try and harmonize my extreme flexibility with extreme accountability, which is why I post on my Instagram story every single day where I track these habits so much because yeah. I need to be self-motivated because I'm kind of at the top of the pyramid in terms of a guy that runs a business and um, and also, also a guy that's wanting to build an audience and a following on social media as well. I need to lead by example. So um, this entrepreneurial lifestyle allows me to be a lot more um, uh, flexible with how I manage things. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's a big point of like why I wanted to, um, you know, speak to you again because you just you just spoke about it right there. You know, as we're building this business, like we, you can take the piss if you want, 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, could fuck do no. whatever you want. Like if I wanted to, yeah. I could go surf seven days a week. <laughs> you could, you could, yeah. And you could be like me, you smoke cones yeah. all day as well. And I've gone through phases like that. I've mm. gone through phases where I've, you know, when I it, it when I'm actually quite down, deep down emotionally, I'm feeling a bit uh empty, is when I start like I'll start rocking up at work. Oh, not rocking up at work, but I will start um being at work high. I'll just be having I'll have a quick smoke out the back and I'll come in, I'll just be a little bit calm, a little bit more leveled out. But I've got this cheesy grin on my face because I'm just a little bit stoned. And then I'm so just like, people actually get- aware that you're a stone of you because you only have like a little bit and you've done it for a bit. You like it's not like f- you can't physically see that you're high. The, those who know me know. They definitely yeah. know. They definitely know. Um, because people that spend time with me, they I'll have a certain set of mannerisms and, and I'll speak a certain way. And then I'm also a certain way when I'm stoned as well. So um, but also I'm also, I'm very open with it. I talk about this on the podcast. I post on my Instagram quite regularly about, um, my relationship with weed. I, I really do believe that being authentic is really the only way to go about it. Mm. And, um, but in terms of like the member base, I don't just walk around and be like, hi everyone, I'm stoned. But if I'm, um, my number one goal is to serve the members no matter what and serve our client base. Our whole business is built on service. So, high or not high, I will still be giving my hundred percent best out on the floor. And, um, you know, I have like, I-, I do have to admit that I've, I've trained some of my clients high never, I've never done clients, um, from the very beginning high I've, I've, I've had to learn them first and learn how I am around them. And then when I feel comfortable around them, then I will get high. Yep. If, when I'm in those phases, not just yep. get stoned all the time, but I have done that. And, and, a lot of I've actually the, the funny thing is, is that a lot of a lot of times when I am high when I train a client, um, I actually train them better because I'm more emotionally involved with them, and I'm actually more enthusiastic. More enthusiastic in the session. I actually, on average, I get more. I get better verbal feedback on those sessions that I've been high. I very rarely get. Yeah, I'm just. I'm really into it. I'm just. I really because I do love it. I love coaching. I love everything to do with exercise. That's why I own a gym. I quit my all of my careers to be a gym owner, and 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 all I do in my spare time is I I see a physio. I get massages. I see a psychologist. I I just see different people because I want. I just want to learn about physiology. I want to learn about psychology. Like I have, I definitely have problems, but the reason why I chose to see a psychologist is because I wanted to learn psychology, not because I felt like I needed that help. And mm-hmm. so, and the psychologist I see is actually one of my old clients. And that's why I see him because I'm, he understands how I work and being able to spend time with him and, and kind of pull my mind apart. It just allows me to learn so much and anything to do with the mind and the body. I have an extreme cu- curiosity about and I also derive the most fulfillment out of it. And so when I'm a little bit more high, I'm just like a bit more, a bit more happy to be around. Yeah, man. <laughs> Getting back to your, um, your definition on peak performance. Yeah, cool. So look, if there's, if there, I really thought about it, I'm like, what's the one thing that I could, um, that I could leave this audience or the listeners of this podcast with? It's to understand what is parasympathetic. If, do you know what parasympathetic is? No. Cool. There's, there is two divisions of this the nervous peak performance. Yeah, you talking about this is peak performance. This yeah, you mean peak performance? Yeah. In terms of peak, yeah. yeah. So, in order to to really be at your peak performance, you have to understand what parasympathetic means, and you have to know how mm-hmm. to keep yourself in parasympathetic at all times. So, think of it like a spectrum, like a sliding scale. On the left side is sympathetic. On the right side is parasympathetic. 
parasympathetic is P-A-R-A-S-Y-M-P-A-T-H-E-T-I-C, parasympathetic. And so it's actually a division of the nervous system. The nervous system is either parasympathetic or the nervous system is sympathetic. And so the mind, the brain actually dictates if the body is in parasympathetic or sympathetic, but it's more so the subconscious brain that is actually dictating the parasympathetic and sympathetic. So to make it more simply to understand, people have heard of a term called fight or flight. Fight or flight is when we're stressed. So stressed is fight or flight. When we are in fight or flight, what's happening physiologically, what's happening within the body is that if we're in fight or flight, our, uh, our heart rate will increase. Our core temperature may increase a little bit as well because the heart's beating a little bit faster. Our breath rate will also tend to increase. And so the classic example of when we're in fight or flight from um, ancestry ancestral point of view is that when in the caveman days, fight or flight is that if a saber-toothed tiger comes in or we're running through the bush and we see a, we see a venomous snake, our body goes, oh, fuck, we either need to fight or we need to get out of this situation. And so our body diverts 100% of its resources into survival. And for that instant in survival, what will happen is our pupils will dilate. So the reason we're dilating is so that pupils can receive more light and we, can, we get long-sightedness so we can look for exits. We get long-term memory because we're like, have I been in this situation? How do I get out of this situation? Our mm. heart rate will increase and try and pump more blood to our limbs, like our fingers, our hands, our legs, so that we can either fight or we can run or we can climb away from the threat. And so all these, and anything to do with like stress, fear, anxiety, that is what is the definition. That's the physiological definition of, of being in sympathetic. And so it's your nervous system that does that because the nervous system plugs into all of our organs. The nervous system plugs into all of our muscles and the nervous system plugs into the heart and into everything that actually controls what's happening inside our body. And so if someone is in sympathetic, they're in a state of fight or flight. But if like, if you're just working and there's a big bang, you, you go, oh, fuck, what was that? Like that shock that, oh, oh my God, that mm. like it shoots you into a full state of sympathetic. So you can have what's called it, what I'm calling right now is a sympathetic spike. You, your body will just surge into a stress state. But if you don't have the conscious awareness to be like, oh, actually, I'm safe. That was just a spike. That's okay. And so we need to learn how to downregulate ourselves back into parasympathetic. So on the other side of this scale is parasympathetic. And parasympathetic is what we call rest and digest. And so when we're in parasympathetic, the heart rate is lower. The breath rate is it's smoother. It's calmer. The body is in, in what I now call composed. It's in a pure state of composure. And every human knows that when they're in a state of composure, they speak better, they listen better, they make better decisions, they feel better, they digest food better, they're aware of more of their surroundings, and they don't get fucking stressed. And so when we execute things, and that means if we're writing a book, if we're filming a podcast, if we're on a sales call, if we're greeting a prospect, if we're making a piece of social media content, that is always going to be done better when we're in parasympathetic. Even if someone just comes in, it's a, hey, how are you going? 
if you're in a stress, if you're in a really stressed state, you're just going to glance from like, hey, and look back down. Mm. But if you're in a calm state, it's going to be like, hey, and it comes off so much more genuine. And it also puts you in the position that if that person's having a shit day, you can be like, hey, oh, you were good. Do you want to have a sit down? And it comes from this place of, I care about you. And you can actually see that you care about them and you can feel that you can compare that you care about them because you're in a state of pure awareness and you're a state of calm and composure. But if you're in that stress state and you're, you're tapping away at your computer and you're like, oh, fucking got to get these emails out. And you, you don't, you're not aware of shit. And imagine if you are a partner in a loving relationship, if you're so it's stuck in this sympathetic state and you're so fucking stressed, you will not realize how your partner feels in that moment. And for a male partner to a, uh, with their female partner, what we talk about is exercising presence or cultivating presence is to make sure that when we're with our partner, women love to be listened to, but it's not that we're listening with our ears. It's that we're listening with our body and we have that full body state of awareness because when we're listening with our body, if our body is calm and our body mm. is, 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 is clear and our, our, um, uh, our heart rate is nice and it's got that depth and we speak with depth, not like, Hey, how are you going? It's, Hey, how are you going? Good morning. Nice to see you. You look beautiful today. When we're in that state, when we're calm, we're not distracted by our own shit. And that meant that allows us to actively listen to our partner so they can express how they feel. And so we're actually feeling with our body and paying attention to their emotional state so mm. that we can actually, because we love them. We want to, we want to provide them with love, but if we're stressed, we're not physically capable of doing that. And so we can roll reverse. We can say that's us wanting to talk to our female partner because we want her to hear us, or we could turn that into a sales call. If we're doing a, if we're talking to a client or a prospect, we're sitting down with them. And if we are calm and we're composed, we can listen with our bodies. We can pay attention to when they're getting stressed and where they're, when they're anxious. And if we talk about price or if we talk about their objections, we can pay attention to what's happening with their physiology and we can make sure that we nurture them to feel calm and composed. So not only does understanding when we're in parasympathetic is a really important thing for life, if we value human interaction, which is obviously what every human, or well, maybe 99% of humans value, right? There are some psychopaths that live in this world that just like to do things, right? But in terms of living, being with another human being, the nourishment and the fulfillment from that connection comes from full body listening or active listening. And active lis listening never occurs when we are in a sympathetic state. So all you need to do is swap the word stressed for sympathetic mm -hmm. because stress, to, stress is a, has a very mixed definition in many people's minds. So let's say there's, let's say there's 100,000 people listening to this podcast, we hope, right, to this episode. Yeah, of course. If I say stress, there's probably going to be 100,000 definitions of stress. But if I speak in terms of sympathetic, there's only one definition of sympathetic because it's when the body is sliding towards that scale out of composure. So stress is sympathetic. Composure is parasympathetic. I wish I had a P word for, you know, parasympathetic, but if we have time, I think I have like 
10 P words that contribute to, to parasympathetic that I made a list of just 10 to help. P words. <laughs> yeah. It is mate. actually like, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, the 14 P's of peak well, performance. So you officially can do a seminar, mate, because unless you've got all that type of stuff, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was just, yeah. All, I've, been, I've just been thinking about it all week and I'm like, Oh yeah, what are the P and it just P words kept popping up, but yeah. they're in no particular order, which I'll go through later. But, the bottom line is if people can understand what does parasympathetic mean and you have to learn what parasympathetic sympathetic means for you because people are only aware of what they're aware of. And so my, I have this definition for emotions being emotions are energy in motion and which means that what is happening in any given moment, your body is running a certain recipe. It's running a certain cocktail. And what I mean by that is, at any given moment, your heart rate is a certain level. Your breath rate is a certain level. Your core temperature is at a certain level. The muscular tension around your body is a certain level. Maybe your hips are tighter. Maybe your ribs are tighter. Maybe your neck's tighter. Maybe your mouth is like micro contracting that we're not, we're not aware of. And so as we learn to pay attention to these little markers, these biomarkers that's happening with our body with, where's my breath at? Are my shoulders tight? Where's my spine sitting? How much oxygen do I feel like I can wear in my ribs and my breathing? It's all this awareness around the body is that over time, people that start cluing onto this, they're like, oh, my shoulders feel tight. But after a couple of weeks, it's like, oh, actually my spine is sitting slightly too far forward. And if I bring it back a couple of degrees, it's going to relax my left shoulder. I'm slightly rotated to the left or a big breath. It's not a big breath and a little breath. It's like, I got 20% here. I got 50% here. I got 75% here. So as you become more cultured and more familiar with your own bodily environment, I kind of explain it as if when you first start drinking red wine, it's like, oh, that's red. And then you get more used to it. Like that's a Shiraz, that's a Pinot Noir, <laughs> that's, a, that's a Merlot. But then after a couple of years, you could give it a whiff and you're like, that's a, is that a, that's a 1978, 79, maybe Barossa Valley, you know, or this is from the, from the French out. It doesn't matter, but you you Mm. become more clued on to these micro notes or like think about a pianist, a a, a pianist, a pianist, someone who plays a piano, whatever, however you say it, Mm. when they're playing, when you just press your fingers on these notes, it says do, 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 do. And when you listen to it, it's do, 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 do. But when someone's been listening to music for, for years and years and years and years, they can hear these micro undertones and they can tell if it's 0.0007 of an octave out, you know, to us. And we're like, oh, this is fucking sick. This music's great. But mm. to them, they're like, oh, this is atrocious. Every note is out by half a, half a note. And so it's about learning how to become seasoned with your own chemistry. And that is when you're learning what is parasympathetic for you, it's important to learn to pay attention when you're in sympathetic. And it's also important to pay attention to when you're in parasympathetic so you can understand your own scale. And once you understand your own scale, you will learn how to regulate your own breathing, how to just how to kind of, you know, it might just be, I need to just lean slightly further back in my chair. Or I just need to kind of just lift my hips off the chair and just readjust. Or if, at the moment, I'm assuming you're standing. You may just need to wiggle your feet by just the most minute of a degree just to readjust in one slight way to improve how you're standing in that moment to just dial you back towards the state of parasympathetic than it is to sympathetic. And that that's the golden paradox of peak performance. The word peak and the word performance is usually uh, associated with sympathetic. And it's, it's, it's usually associated with, with stress and surging and, and, and pushing and persevering through all these things. But 
at the end of the day, it's actually about spending more time in parasympathetic because the moment we contract and the moment we're like, oh, I must do this, you're shooting yourself into sympathetic. And when you're in sympathetic, you use mental energy faster, you use uh, your, your heart rate. And when, because when you start to contract, that costs energy. If you're sitting there as a stressed person being tight and be like, oh, fuck this, oh man, that is the literal physical equivalent of you just going to the gym and lifting weights. Your body is still contracting when you lift weights. But if you're sitting there being stressed all the time, you're contracting 100% of the day and the body will exhaust itself and you run out of willpower. You run out of energy and you run out of mental endurance. You run out of concentration. So every time you come out of parasympathetic, you're using up all of your resources. And to go back to what you were saying about Meat and Wine Co., I was like, fuck, I'm going to have a wine because having a wine really allowed me to really enjoy the experience for what it is. And it really allowed me to relax into this social environment and just enjoy a Sunday afternoon with my friends. And if I was so focused on, I can't drink alcohol and I've got to be sober, I've got to have this streak of as many days winter of sober in winter, I would literally start to contract. I would reject all the positivity that I could receive. Like, being being with my friends and having a nice feed is so soul nourishing that it actually tops my emotional cup up. But if I'm so like, oh, I've got to be disciplined, I've got to be strict, I'm actually not only now wasting energy, but I'm also denying myself of the fulfillment that will actually pull me back into parasympathetic. Yeah. So and by so, you being super, super disciplined, you're technically falling over to the sympathetic side. Is yes. that what you're saying? Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Which is defeating the whole purpose of you ultimately wanting to be feeling good. Exactly right. Yeah. 100%. And this is where um, this is where the paradox comes in because peak performance in business is often associated with uh, let's make a projection. Let's look at our KPIs. Let's look at our data. And then if I want to make $100,000 by the end of this year, then I need me to making like a couple thousand dollars in sales every single week, which means if I want to make a couple thousand dollars worth of sales every single week, then I need to make this many sales dials per week. And so it's like, boom, boom, boom. I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this. But if we lock ourselves into that projection and then something like in my example, COVID just fucking hit and we're now into a four-day lockdown and I can't, I can't run my business how I planned on doing it, I can actually exhaust all of my mental energy and I can make myself sick by just being really hard on myself. And I'm like, you've got to fucking do this and you've got to be like this. We've got to catch up. And if I put all these unrealistic expectations on myself in the pursuit of pseudo peak performance, then I'm actually deteriorating my health. And when I deteriorate my health, I'm wasting my energy, my mental energy, my physical energy, my emotional energy. And I'm basically just fucking myself up based on this external thing that I actually held myself to. And again, I'm not saying get rid of the projections because they're super important, but we need to learn as uh, as, a, as human beings that are running businesses. Again, we are a homo sapien trying to run a business. As a homo sapien, we have a need to pay attention to our parasympathetic slash sympathetic state. But then as an entrepreneur, we have an obligation to meet our KPIs and we have an obligation to meet our um, our projections. And it just becomes that that balancing act, that harmonization of learning and accepting what we are actually are capable of human beings and what's, what's actually honest, what's an honest amount of workload for our body. And a lot of the times we realize that a lot of, a lot of our goals that we set are based on uh, that we feel a bit inadequate or that we're just not good enough for where we are now. And that exact mental template is just like where I am right now fucking sucks is actually what is destroying our health. And the, the, the complete irony is that health is happiness. Happiness does not occur 
in sympathetic. Happiness is a physiological, again, happiness is a recipe. It's a certain mm-hmm. amount of bodily tension. It's a cert, It's your heart rate is a certain level. Your core yep. temperature is at a certain level and your body feels a certain way. Your organs are functioning in a certain way. And that's the definition of happiness. And happiness just happens to exist in parasympathetic. And so when we, when we put all these like arbitrary definitions and these arbitrary meanings and arbitrary meaning, just like you've just made it up, these arbitrary goals in order to be happy, I will build my business and I'll create financial freedom. Then we're actually denying ourselves from the happiness that we're chasing by being so stressed. Yeah. I was, um, so basically like, you know, parasympathetic is a calm state in a way. I'm just, I'm, yep. I'm you're talking yep. about awareness. Yep. When you're yep. talking about awareness, I'm thinking of, um, like when I'm working sometimes and if I'm doing like a repetitive topic, which is not requiring a lot of brain power. So if I'm sitting there and I'm writing content or something, I won't yep. do this because I'm using brain power. Yep. But if I'm doing something that's maybe repetitive and it's not using much brain power, yep. I will tend to tap and I'll sing mm. and I'll click and I'll dance and shit like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, I feel good when I do it right now. My wife, my um, Courtney, she uh, she <laughs> like settled the fuck down. What are you doing? Yeah. You're crazy, right? Yeah. I'm curious. Like, is that? Am I in a what type of state am I in? Am I technically sympathetic because I'm not in a calm state? Yeah. Even though it feels good to me, like mm. where am I? Where would you think I'll be floating out there? So that's a is a brilliant question. I love the question, and so only you can actually answer the true definition. Unless I hooked you up to a bunch of wires to actually measure your heart rate, your breath rate, and your muscular tension, mm. and so it can be either. And I'll explain why I believe it could be either. Mm. And so the need to tap can be the fact that there is energy that needs to be expelled, and so the tapping may actually be a regulator for you, or it could act as like a like a metronome to keep you focused. And so in that particular instance, if you were to kind of resist the tapping, you could actually kind of, it's like putting a, um, like putting a cap on a kettle and it would just boil and boil and boil before it bursts. You know, if you, if you suppress that energy, you can literally get tighter and tighter and tighter. So that could be the first thing. So it could actually mean that the tapping and the singing and the music is actually allowing your body to express itself how it wants to express itself in that given moment, which means if you're letting that energy flow, whether it's a physical thing or an emotional thing, you just want to do that. That could be parasympathetic or it could be, it could be sympathetic. The fact that you're actually like you are overloaded and it's a sign that you need to pause and then go for a walk and take a 10 minute break to recenter yourself. It could be a sign. And so mm-hmm. the only way that you will know that mm-hmm. is if you have the, uh, I guess if you have the self-awareness to be able to, in that moment, ask what's my breath rate at it pretty much it stems, stems down to what's my breath rate and what's my heart heart rate. Because, you know, we, we say we can last um, nine days without water or 12 days without food, whatever. I don't know what those numbers are but we can last fuck all without oxygen. And so the number one thing, what the heart does, the heart is what pumps blood throughout the body. And the blood is like the bloodstream is a transport system for nutrients to be delivered around the body to all the nutrients and all the muscles. But the heart is what pumps oxygen through the body. So we, we inhale, it goes into the lungs and that it goes like through our capillaries and all these different little tubes and things and ends up into the bloodstream. And it's the heart pushing that oxygen throughout the body that allows that, that oxygen cycle to go through our body. And so the more, as long as the body is receiving enough oxygen per breath, then it feels safe. 
And so if we stop breathing or if we start to micro contract, as we contract, the body thinks it needs more oxygen to feed those muscles, which means that if the ribs aren't actually flexible enough to let more oxygen in and let the lungs fill up with air, the heart will have to pump more oxygen throughout the body. So your parasympathetic and sympathetic will pretty much be dictated by does the body feel like it's getting enough oxygen? And so when we do more exercise, we need more oxygen, hence why we have to like huff and puff more, which is also a side note, exercise is sympathetic. So exercise is deliberate sympathetic and it's exercise is deliberate stress, which means afterwards we have to go back into deliberate parasympathetic. But mm-hmm. to answer your question, it's what is your heart rate and what is your, your oxygen rate or your breath rate? And as you learn to become familiar with that, you because you can be calm and tapping, but you can be stressed and tapping. So you yeah. just have to go one layer deeper and start with the heart. And so as a, as a really rule of thumb recommendation for the listeners here, start with your heart rate. Cool, man. That's a, oh, well, I'll, I'll definitely be more aware. I mean, I think when I do it a lot of the time, I've probably been working for a decent amount of time with a break and I start to get a little bit bored and I feel the tapping and the singing entertains yep. Yep. me. Yep. So it probably, even though it feels, I think by me doing that, it makes me feel good, but it sounds like I'm in a sympathetic state. Mm. I'm doing it to put me over to the, parasympathetic possibly yeah yeah and look we have we have our tendencies and mannerisms that um, create comfort for us as well i'm, I'm a severe tapper as well mm. and um you know my with one of my mentors my recent practice was meditation because i just couldn't sit in silence mm. so I'm, I'm known for my ability to exert myself and be this this fit guy this dude's iron man training do these like massive bike rides etc before 9 a.m and all this kind of stuff but you know, people are like, wow, that's amazing. But then I'll look at someone I'm like, how the fuck do you sit at the computer for three hours? Like, I can't do that, you know? And yeah. so I actually have regular breaks and, and regular naps throughout the day. I've literally got a, like a, a full sleeping setup in the back of my car at the moment. And <laughs> I, I just have like 12 to 13 minute naps about two to three times a day. Just how to, often are you having breaks? Uh, I have a break every, uh, about every two hours, every and hour to two hours. For? And what is a break? Uh, so I give myself about 30 to 45 minutes, but I actually time block one hour. And the yep. reason I time block one hour is because the, I still run it. I run a lot of the sales and marketing in the business, mm-hmm. which means in order for me to be focused, I have to have my phone always on. And so I'm in a permanent reactive state. And so I give myself about three hours of buffer time a day. So I have, I have a, I have three sections in my calendar, one in the morning, one at lunchtime, one in the afternoon. And it's, it's a, it's a one hour block, but it's actually a 15 minute nap. So I'll go into my car and I'll have a 15 minute nap, but then it also gives me about 45 minutes to catch up on work. Cause if I'm doing a two hour time block and I have to take a sales call, I've got to take that sales call. That's yeah. number one priority is, is serving the customers and, fi- and finding new biz- uh, business prospects. So that could throw out my concentration and that can actually push my day back. So these three 15-minute scheduled naps are actually more of my buffer time to catch up on emails, to catch up on text messages, or just go for a literal break if I need to. And so they're kind of like my um, my security to not overload myself with with so much work is what I, I tend to do. I say yes. To, I'm still a yes man. I say yes to everything. But now that I've got all these like three hours of in my calendar that's blocked for recovery, I it's, it's it keeps me at peace knowing that I've got 60 minutes to do a 15-minute task and then I can catch up on whatever. And, you know, because for me, messages, and I love building my Instagram audience as well, but I send a lot of messages and a lot of DMs throughout the day. And, you know, Sunday I spent two and a half hours 
just laying on my bed, just responding to all my messages because that's that's what I was backed up on. And mm. two and a half hours sending messages is like not really the most productive thing, but quite important in terms of a work schedule. But yep. yeah, so I, I have these like these three one hour sections in my day to um, restore my energy and also catch up on the little things that take up my mental capacity, such as, cause I like, I love people. I fucking talk all day, but the things that I care about the most aren't the most productive things in the business at that time. So if I've got to build a landing page or run some ad campaigns, I need to sit down and do those. But I am, I'm actually excited about the fact of answering emails and talking to people in the DMs and, and, and replying to comments on, on social media. So I do that in my relaxation time because I really enjoy that. And so that's part of that. My personal strategy for staying parasympathetic is part of that is like what makes me happy and, 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 and I love napping. <laughs> I love napping, mm. but I love just going for like a little, I just love like tapping away on my phone and just messaging strangers and just talking shit with everyone. I send a lot of voice messages, as you know. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, I'll sit on my phone and then just, and I'll catch up on all of those. And that way I'm feeling happy that I've got my yeah. social connection, but then also I'm feeling productive that I'm staying on top of my workload. Why a 15 minute nap? Why not 30 minutes or 20? So minutes? I just, it's just personal experimentation. So over the last six months, I've been experimenting from naps all the way from five minutes all the way through to 90 minutes. You're putting an, an alarm on? Yep. 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 And I also, uh, I, I nap with a thing called binaural beats. And so binaural beats are um, it's basically musical tones that are at a certain frequency. High frequency are used for concentration. So if you just go binaural is B-I-N-A-U-R-A-L, binaural beats. And essentially they're designed to have a frequency that match uh, certain brain brainwave states. So when the brain is focusing if you were to measure yourself up to a i don't know little brain computer thing and to measure your mm. brain waves we have uh, gamma waves which are high frequency and on the scale they're like really close together but then if you go the way down to delta and alpha which is when you're um uh, yeah delta and alpha when you have into your really relaxation states uh delta alpha and theta i believe those are your really um slow waves where it's really more like rolling hills kind of uh brainwave states but you can actually just you just go on youtube or spotify and there's, um, there's songs that go for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes, one hour or three minutes. Uh, and they, uh, they're stuck at that certain frequency and they help nurture your brain down to that level. So I'll put my earphones in and I'll just put on some binaural beats, usually some, um, usually alpha or theta, if I'm going to, if I'm going to nap and then, um, I'll just lay, lay, lay down in the car, the back of the car and just and nod off. And I've worked out that 11 to 13 minutes is my optimum. Yeah, nice, man. As opposed to I've done 90 minutes and I've done yeah. 45 and everything in between. Yeah. And, um, you know, in terms of my current work schedule and my workload and how long it takes me to transition from a nap back into being focused, mm. uh, 12 to 13 minutes is, is is optimal. Sometimes 14, sometimes 15, but golden is 12 to 13 or 11 to 13. All right, Joshy, mate. I think it's time. Beautiful. Yeah, really I good. I think it's time for you to reveal the... Yeah, 10Ps. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen. So um, I actually, uh, let me let me double check because there's a couple, one, two, three, four, kind of, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. So we'll call it about 18, 19, but there, we'll start from start from the top. What do we got? 18, but, 19 Ps. Yeah, an 18, 19 Ps. So they, the first four. And should, also, I tell, should I tell my wife I won't be available for another four hours? Yeah, tell her that. No, I'm trying to, <laughs> they're, they're, about a, they're about a sentence each. So, right, and, cool. and, and 
the first four are part of a sentence and then the rest of them for the audience are listening. They're in no particular order. Remember, everything is based on parasympathetic. So the first four Ps is posture, performance, and power all come from the posterior chain. So the posterior chain is basically the set of muscles that are on the back half of the body. And all of those muscles are the ones that hold your posture together. That's where performance comes from in terms of actually like thinking about running and strength training. And then if you're also, again, having power development as an athlete, they mm. all come from the posterior chain. So if you're thinking from a strength training uh, aspect or working on going to the gym, you want to be doing like a, at least a two to one ratio. So training twice as much of the back half of your body, which is your lats, which is your glutes, which is your um, your hamstrings and your calves, keeping mm -hmm. them nice and strong and also your traps in the back of your neck and your spine, keeping all of those muscles strong will actually maximize um, your actual overall health and performance in the gym. So two to one is two on the back half, yeah. one on the front side. As a, a general drawn in, aren't they? They're like that. Exactly right. As a, as a general rule of thumb. And yeah. gyms with mirrors, I'm just shout out to my gym because we got no mirrors. Gyms with mirrors are part of that. Because got no they're mirrors. actually, we got no mirrors in the gym. No, nice. no, because we are trying to teach people how to become more connected to their body, and yep. that's why the mirrors are an external thing. Whereas uh, the the actual the magic comes from the internal feedback. So the next one, planning. Planning is the next Qu P. Can I quickly ask about the gym? Do you get resistance to that? Uh, people, we we do and we don't. We used to get resistance, but I believe the resistance comes from people that don't come to us. So it's, it's a clear beacon to our marketplaces that if you want mirrors, don't come here. And so we don't get resistance anymore, but the people that do come in, they come in lower numbers, but they're so much more happier and grateful to be here. Mm. Mm. So it just means that our business model is taking a lot more longer to get started, but yeah. our, our, um, our member base is fucking strong. They're, they're yeah, really, nice. really great member base. Interesting. So, yeah. Planning the next P. Planning is pretty straightforward. When you have a plan to stick to, that allows the brain to save energy. When the brain saves energy, that allows you to spend more time in parasympathetic. Mm. Preparation is the exact same thing. Preparation is being prepared for the day, being prepared for your um, for your workload, being prepared prepared for your training session, prepared for anything that you're going to do. By being prepared, that's going to minimize the anxiety leading up to that event. And it's also going to mitigate the stress you will receive when you get thrown a curveball. I.e., if I prepare my day to know that I'm going to have distractions, if I cater those distractions in, I don't feel so stressed out when I'm trying to catch up. That's what yeah. preparation is. Program. This is in terms of actually uh, thinking about your exercise again. It's very similar again. Following a program, having a structured routine is going to help you get better results. And it's going to give you mental security knowing that you're moving forward rather than just starting from this. I'm going to do this and then this and then this and this. If there's no structure to that. It's hard to make progress. I don't think I'm... Oh, no, here we go. Yeah. And the next one, next P is progression or in fitness terms, it's called progressive overload. So in terms of fitness or in terms of habit development or in terms of skill development or retention, you have to start small and you have to work your way up. So don't do a Josh Hardy and be like, oh, I'm going to do 30 habits. I'm going to fucking crush it. Start with one habit and then work your way up. Two habits, three habits, four habits. You start at the gym, start with five kilos, six kilos, seven kilos. You're going to start mm -hmm. running, start with 1K, 2K, 3K. Progressive overload is one of the most important things that everyone should know in the fitness industry. If you are going to exercise, you need to progressively overload the body, whether that's distance, whether that's intensity, whether that's duration. Progressive mm -hmm. overload is a core concept of how the physiology grows. Mm, I, quickly on that on that um, point, that's, that's interesting. I had a... Um... 
I had a client that gave me feedback on the the, the program that they did with me, the program yep. that I run. Yep. And they said that the expectation and the action that I put on the clients, I mean, she was talking for herself, right? Was that it was too much. Mm-hmm. Now, is that because I'm looking at it because I've been doing this for a while, I'm at a certain standard and then I've basically projected that on these new clients and gone, look, mm. this is what you need to be doing. Have I gone a little bit too hard on my expectations in that regard? And they need to kind of, it's it's tough one, you know what I mean? I'm basically saying, yeah. look, this is the way you should be moving, yeah? You need to get into a habit of showing up this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a, it's a good not question. Used to it. Yeah. They're not yeah. used to it. So like, what, what would you be your advice around that? Um, I'm just checking if I, if I actually put it in here as one of the P's, but it's actually not, but it's technically the 20th P, but it's perception. And so as a coach, it's very important to understand, uh, to be able to perceive your own expectations on a client and also be able to perceive where they are. And then the other note of perception is also they need to, maybe they have a false perception of themselves. So in terms of the Navy SEALs, they do a thing that without going too much on a sidetrack, there's a thing called central governor's theory. And central central governor theory is that the nervous system tells the body that it's going to die or it, uh, it instills fatigue as a protective mechanism. And so central governor theory is basically mentally overriding your nervous system in order to produce outstanding results. And so the Navy SEALs, they just they just brutalize them. They have a thing called hell week where they don't sleep for maybe, I think it's like a week mm. or something or two. Yeah. And they push them so hard to make them aware that their body is capable of, of so much. So central governor theory, mm. it, it is a theory and it's a theory that it kicks in around about 40 to 50%. And they have run a lot of studies on it and it's super interesting. So people can be pushed a lot more. That's a really important thing. But also as a coach, you need to be able to recognize how much you can push a person towards their breaking point because not everyone wants to be a Navy SEAL. And if mm-hmm. people don't want to be a Navy SEAL, you can't treat them like a Navy SEAL. So it's mm-hmm. a it's an individual moment because I've done this with clients. I've, I've, I've had people leave the gym because I've called them out for their own bullshit and they, they got so offended by it that they left. Mm-hmm. And even though... I know that I was I was right in terms of what I saw. I was wrong in how hard I pushed them. So mm. everybody has a breaking point. And so to answer your question about your client, you have to learn. It, it comes within you to recognize where they're at and depending on and, and what they're capable of. And in terms of progressive overload, if someone's only capable of 50 kilos, they're only capable of 50 kilos, maybe 55, maybe 60. And if I'm coming in and pushing them on 70, that's when I can injure them. And so it is a, this, isn't, this is a tough thing as a coach. Mistakes do get made with clients. That's what make co- great coaches uh, great is that they have made mistakes with their clients. And so it's important for a coach just to be authentic with their clients and their coach, their clients are willing to stand by them as they're continuously learning as well. Cause we're just human as well. So um, yeah, it's a fine line in recognizing because everyone has a different tether and everyone has a different breaking point. And so for you, it depends on what was she actually capable of. And if you, if you, if you spent time in your parasympathetic and you have to recognize that she was capable of, then yes, you're right. If you were coming from more of a sympathetic state where like, I need to get results for my business. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm doing a really good job with my clients so that I can market this at the sacrifice of their own mental health and their mental security, then you're not serving them. Mm. What would you suggest any advice around? Because this is a group setting. Yeah, group yep. setting. 
individual, a lot easier to move around, more flexible, more customized. Yep. Group setting yep. is kind of like, look, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. The way I propose the group setting is that we move fast. Um, yes. But we move fast for a reason that it basically exposes you to maybe a little bit. Well, it basically takes you from here to here in a short amount of time. We've got a short yeah. amount of time together. Yeah. And yep. it's like, if we move fast, you're going to get through it. It's going to be messy and everything like that. But then mm. you can learn heaps. And then when you can go off on your own, you can slow things down a little bit. Yeah. What would you, what would, you, what would you be advice around in a group setting? Should I say to them, hey, look, we're going to move this quick. You don't have to move this quick. Or like, look, you can do whatever. You, like, what, what do you reckon I should do? Yeah, uh, this is my own my own opinion on this. I think a lot of people who would hear this question would have uh, different opinions on it. But my opinion is to uh, go back to the core philosophy of your business and go back to the core philosophy of your um, of your coaching model. Because if you look in, in terms of the jungle, like the if there's a pack animals, if an animal is too slow, some of those would just fuck that animal off. And then other, other, other tribes, other mentalities would do their best to, you know, um, we're only as slow as the weakest runner or we're only, we're chain is as strong as the weakest link. And so you need to have a, th- well, I would be suggesting is to have a look at your business model in what is the ideal types of clients that you want to be letting in. And if you, if you wish to have clients that you believe are going to be slower, then you need to instill some sort of mechanism, whether that's an extra private coaching call or an extra support mechanism to um, help nurture the people that will be slower. Or if you feel like those people aren't right for your coaching business, then you need to have other coaches that you think that will serve them. Or you need to find a way to refine your business and marketing and branding so that people like that don't come in in the future. Mm-hmm. It is a little bit cutthroat, but in terms of you're trying to, you can only serve people in a certain way. You know, you have your style, your philosophy, and mm-hmm. people will align with that. And some people won't align with that. And so sometimes it might be better to let someone move on rather than forcing them down a path that they're not going to ultimately get the most out of, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, definitely. Yes, that's awesome. that's my answer. Thanks, man. Thanks for that, of, of the advice. Um, I think yep. we're at number six. Yep, number six. So these two are nutrition related. Next yep. one is portions. Portions is just to manage them and to understand what ones work for you. So portions mm-hmm. in terms of portion sizing of your food. But as you break that down, we have a thing called protein, fats, and carbohydrates. Some people function better off low carb. Excuse me. Some people function better off high fat or whatever. I'm actually a basically I'm a high I'm a high everything because <laughs> I'm high protein, <laughs> high carb, high fat. But in terms of um, high protein or high fat, I'm actually more of a high fat guy as well. I like I prefer that as well. So it's important for people to understand their portion sizes in terms of weight management. Because another side note, yeah. you know what a, f- a food coma is when you eat too much food, and mm-hmm. so if people are scoffing too much food throughout the day their body is having to use its resources and its energy levels to break that food down. And if it can't break, if it's trying to break that food down, brain capacity decreases. And which means you're actually kind of pulling yourself. I don't know to that specific definition, if that actually slides you into parasympathetic, into sympathetic. But what I do know is that it distracts the body because the body only has a hundred percent of its end. At one given moment, we have a hundred percent of energy available to us. And the more food we eat, the more of our energy that is being put towards digestion. So also managing your portion sizing throughout the day because you're trying to fuel yourself for your workload. And another side note for that is side that- Side note and a side note? 
side note on the side note is that in my personal example with my Ironman training, mm. I would I would have to get up at around about 5, 6 a.m. I would be doing on average a two-hour training session of usually some sort of bike or ride or ride then bike interval session, which are fucking hard. And then I would go straight to the gym and then work at the gym till 7, 7 p.m. I learned that the best thing I did for my energy management was to have like an 800 calorie smoothie. So I just make this fruit smoothie with like honey and coconut, uh, 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 coconut oil and stuff and full of fat, full of protein and full of um, carbohydrates, but it was blended. And I worked out that if I put liquid calories into my body, that I, it's easier to break down because I don't have to chew Yeah, and I don't have to, I don't have to get up and wash any dishes or anything, but I can, the body is because what the body is trying to do is trying to break down food until it gets to a liquid, until it gets to its finest molecule mm. to disperse around the body. Mm. So by consuming a blended food, which is now a liquid, I've done half of the the um, the breakdown process in the blender. So yep. liquid calories straight after my training session is what energized me for the rest of the day. Otherwise, I was just too fucked. So that's my side side note. Mm. Mm. Next P number seven is protein. So people often associate protein in terms of their, um, you know, getting big, building muscle. But we have to understand that if we're considering our parasympathetic side of the body, most people actually don't have enough protein, even if they're not doing lots of exercise. But in order for the muscles to feel strong, muscles need protein. It's the literal building block of the body. And that doesn't mean you have to be doing hours and hours of strength training. I just honestly believe that most people are not getting enough protein into their bodies, which means that's actually allowing their muscles to get weaker and deteriorate, which is why we see a general progression of posture gets worse with age. And so does body body weight tends to get worse with age. And then strength also gets worse with, worse with age because we're not even putting the right ingredients in the body to keep our body nice and upright. Like we still, we still need muscles in the posterior chain to hold ourselves upright. All the spinal muscles are muscles. Everything that everything that you can't see, even when you breathe and inhale, there is intercostal muscles that actually pull the ribs together and then relax in order to expand so that the lungs can fill up with oxygen. And part of my coaching process is I actually assess people's rib cage mobility to see if they can breathe because if they can't breathe, they can't rotate. If they can't rotate, they can't stand on one leg. They can't walk properly. They can't do any stabilizing exercises, which means I start with getting rotation and movement through the rib cage and their anxiety levels actually drop a bit as well because they're so much more composed. So protein is actually underrated and it's really important and you can't fix your fucking posture. If you're not getting enough protein in, you can pull your shoulder blades back all you want. Everyone always says shoulder blades, back and down but it's yeah. the spine that actually needs to stay erect in also in order for the shoulders to hang otherwise yeah. if the spine is leaning forward you can pull your shoulders back as much as you want they will always drift back forward so protein is actually underrated and important side note the heart is a muscle needs protein so uh, as in what are you saying as in food protein you're talking about yep yep yeah yep Yep. Just like most people don't get enough protein. Most people tend yeah. to average about 80 to hundred grams of protein per day. I would be recommending around about 150 grams minimum, which if you're eating three, three meals a day, breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner, just have like one to two, uh, yeah. One to two palm sizes of protein per day. The palm method is very handy because lol, very handy. There's my, there's my joke there. The palm method is very, very I missed handy. It, mate. Yeah. I almost missed it too. The palm <laughs> method is really handy because people's hand size is generally quite relative to their body size, tall people, bigger hands, shorter people, smaller hands. Mm. So if you think in terms of, of palms of protein, you want to be getting yep. about 
about um, for, for someone like yourself, I would be aiming yeah. for six, but for a general yep. person that, that likes to stay reasonably active, but is not like a health freak like me, somewhere between four to five as a minimum palms of protein. Oh, okay. So six of my palms. Six of your palms. Yep. So what, like, if you look at like chicken breast or steak or red meat, or even if you are a vegan or vegetarian in in terms of getting your beans in as well, if people are vegan and vegetarian and like to live an active lifestyle, I would actually recommend a plant style protein powder and make yourself some sort of smoothie or acai bowl or um, just finding ways to get in just to get your protein topped up. Because Mm. in terms of your surfing, you'll be surprised how much of an impact your your surfing can improve just Mm. by increasing the protein in your diet yeah well bef- usually when i go surfing because uh, my my wife has well, we have smoothies in the morning and she has yep. protein i put protein because i make them i'll put protein powder in her smoothie but not mine but if i go yep. surfing yeah i'll chuck some protein powder in because i yep. think it does make a difference cool so 150 grams like what about yep. is that male female body size everything like that yeah just just keep it simple like 150 grams is good females um they can have a little bit less if they want to, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because there's the most common thing we get with females is like, I don't want to get bulky. I don't want to get too big. But mm. if bulk, if getting big was that easy, all the guys would be fucking huge. I promise <laughs> yeah. you that. Like, and, and guys have a higher testosterone profile and they still struggle to gain, to gain mm. muscle mass. So mm. women who have less testosterone, they're going to struggle to put on muscle mass. And so I, yeah. I generally pose a challenge to people uh, do something like a, a 30 to 60 day protein challenge where all you do is increase your protein cha- protein intake and change nothing else about your lifestyle. Don't do anything different, but just have more protein and see what happens with your body composition over that 60 days. Cool, man. So it's super fascinating. Super fascinating. Yeah. All right. Number eight. Number eight, pain. Get rid of it. Pain. Get rid of it. You don't need pain. Physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain. You don't need it. Fuck it off. Uh, what do you what do you mean by this exactly? So, pain is in terms of uh, th- keep it simple. Like people have a oh I've got a sore ankle, or I've got a I've got a bad back. People will then not do anything about it, and they will then avoid all uh, the exercises and all the things that that hold them back. Same as mental and emotional trauma. In terms of if we have those underlying issues and that pain that's lingering, it actually stops us from doing the things that actually mm. does serve us. Like yeah. big staircases are scary and they hurt, but walking upstairs on a regular basis will make you a stronger, healthier, and happier human being. Pain is should not be avoided. Pain is there to teach us more about what our, where our, where we are at at that point in time, and pain mm. is there to be overcome. And it's almost like it's a it's a it's a warning for because I think what happens a lot of the time is that you know we get these pains. Let's say about lower back pain. Yep. Yeah, we leave it, we leave it, we leave it, we leave it, and then yep. years and years and years, and it manifests into some serious disease or some problem with your body. And it's like yep. you've been warned about it. How long has yep. your body been warning about it? Exactly right. Exactly right. We need to be more resilient as human beings, and especially mm. in the pursuit of peak performance. Yeah. One, when we have pain, that actually puts us in a state of fear because we're trying to protect ourselves from that fear, and that is a sympathetic state. Okay. I got. I've got. Do you know golfer's elbow? Yep. 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 I've got golfer's elbow now. I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, if I start doing curls, I mean, I don't go to the yep. gym anymore. I do yoga. So yeah, yeah, if yep. I go do yoga, sorry, if I don't go do curls and, or I'm bringing the, the, uh, the groceries in from, um, supermarket, yep. Yep. I start doing some curls on the way to mm-hmm. the, the door. Mm-hmm. I'll yep. feel it. Now it's not ruining my life, but I've had this thing yep. for years. Yeah. And I haven't done mm. anything about it. Is it something like that? Would you go, man, you need to get rid of it? 
Or is it like, uh, because it's not bothering you day to day, it's not a major thing? Yeah, I, 100% personally, I would be getting rid of it, yeah. but I wouldn't be like, you have to do this now straight away. We get, it can be, you know, you are, you are a young man, you've got priorities, you've got a business to build and working on your wrist pains, probably you're not going to, going to solve your cash flow issues in your business. Yeah. But in terms of um, problems don't go away and they only tend to get bigger when we're talking about physiology, physiology with the body. Mm. So I would call that the pain in the wrist as a whisper. If you yeah. do not attend to it, it will start yelling. And if you, if it's, if it, if you keep ignoring it again, it will like find a way to yell and scream. And that could be, you might fall and then break the wrist or whatever. And that's what happens. And, and I, I hate to use this as an, as a, as a massive example, but when we have severe issues in terms of um, cancers and tumors and, and really serious terminal things that can come up a lot of the time, not every time, a lot of the time there are warning signs. Yeah, but we just point. don't know. We just don't understand how to read them. And so for a lot of people that end up with diabetes or end up overweight, their body has been telling them for fucking years, but it started with, I just feel slightly tired in the morning or I used, I used to like walking in the dog, but now I can't be bothered. You know, mm-hmm. and these really yeah. micro things that come up and I call them whispers. And if you don't attend to a whisper, the, and same as like a kid, you know, kids like that, 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 and if you, they just go, dad, mom, you know, they'll yell in order to get the attention. That is the body actually finding way. The body is just trying to communicate to you. So pain is merely a signal. A signal is merely a piece of information. What you do with that information is up to you. But if you choose to ignore that information, a lot of the time that information will keep coming back and back and back and back until you actually hit that peak breaking point. So again, parasympathetic is the remedy for that because it allows you to take inventory of what's happening within your body and then taking steps to, to work on that. And again, specifically in terms of you, especially because I can see I can see you across the screen because we're on Zoom right now. Um, I would actually be guessing that your wrist pain is actually coming from your shoulder and your shoulder positioning. I don't know if you noticed, but your actual head is on a slight tilt, just a couple of degrees, which is away, which means this whole trap complex will be just a little bit more lengthened, which means mm-hmm. this side will be a little bit more shortened, but that means your spine will be slightly off to one side. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking that, um, the shoulder is a joint that's designed for, so the scapula is designed for stability. The shoulder joint is a shoulder joint that's designed for mobility. And if either of these don't have enough mobility, then the elbow will try harder to compensate for that. And if the elbow doesn't, if the elbow can't compensate, then the wrist will try and compensate for that as well. Gotcha, and okay. so um, a lot of the, a lot of problems in ankles, ankles and knees and in wrists and elbows actually come from the hip and the shoulder or somewhere with a spine, it's lacking that fluidity somewhere. So the yeah. body needs to have this fluidity to kind of, um, uh, you know, if we if we jump off something, we land on our feet, we'll kind of compress and then stand back up. And yeah. so I describe that as compressibility of the body. And so like a spring will compress in order to absorb force. So, you know, even think about in terms of um, when you're surfing, when you were to stand up and jump on the board, you will kind of be in like a half squat because you're trying to hold on to some compressibility. And yeah. also like you're also working with the waves because the waves are, are fluctuating. So you're, you're working with this compressibility, but the body's compressibility, if it lacks compressibility, that kinetic energy that's coming from the waves or coming from the floor, it has to go somewhere. And so if you um, kind of like, you remember with a, if you get a ruler and you kind of twang it, it's like 
on, on a yeah. desk or something, yeah, eventually yeah. That, that, that vibration will dissipate and it spreads from the ruler throughout the table. When your body absorbs force or impact, that kinetic force has to be absorbed somewhere. And so if the joints don't use that, if the joints don't compress in order to um, uh, help disperse that kinetic energy, then the muscles or tendons or things will absorb it. And, and a lot of in, in terms of like uh, marathon running and ultra marathon running, a lot of guys end up with hairline fractures in their hips and their spines because it's, it's, a, it's, or it's a stress injury because their, their ankles are too stiff or their knees are too stiff that they're not compressing every step. And then after hundreds of thousands of, of Ks of running that these people do over their training time, their, the, the, the bone structure is just gets so weak from just constantly having to absorb that kinetic force and those vibrations that it cracks. Gotcha, man. Science. Man, that's, <laughs> that is. <laughs> I love it's this science. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Number, what about to number 10 nine. or something? Number nine, pressure. Stop putting so much on yourself. Again, like I mentioned, when we put these arbitrary meanings, these arbitrary goals on ourselves and we're like, I must do this. When we actually, when we contract by putting all this pressure on ourselves, not only are we fatiguing our mind, we're just using up our mental capacity, just having dumb thoughts. We're also getting stuck in these states where um, we're just constantly being pulling ourselves back into into sympathetic and we're using up our energy sources. So pressure, stop putting so much pressure on yourself. 10. Number 10, proprioception. Which one? Proprioception, P-R-O-P. Are you at the level now where you're like, okay, I've got my all the P's now. I've got no, to no. how to keep running with the P's. No, no, this one, this is one that just popped up, and then and then there's another ones that are pretty easy. Um, proprioception, P R O P R I O C E P T I O N, proprioception. So, if anyone who's in terms of physiology will understand this, proprioception is um, the body's awareness in space. So, people that are clumsy. Are often referred to as they have lack of proprioception. So they just don't know where their head is. They don't know where their arms in arms are. And if someone has a lack of proprioception, it means they have a lack of physical awareness. The other definition of proprioception is I'll use my example. I had a, um, an ankle surgery and everything that could have gone wrong, went wrong. My ankle burst and bled everywhere. Then I had to go back into surgery again. So I had two surgeries back to back. And my ankle was so, it was in so much pain and, and swell, like it's so swollen. It's been about four years since my surgery and my ankle is still bruised. You can still see bruising on my foot and mm. the scar tissue is all there. But I had to learn how to feel my ankle because my nervous system said, just forgot about it, forgot about the ankle. It basically shut off all the pain, all my uh, sensory awareness to my ankle mm. so that it couldn't feel the pain. But then I lost my ankle stability. But then when I'm trying to, heal my ankle because the nervous system's forgotten how to talk to the ankle. I can't send as many nutrients to there through the blood flow and it can't receive there's, there's no flow in and out and for that healing to occur. So people need to have really good proprioceptions a, so they don't fall over and they don't walk into things. That's a great one. But more importantly, if you don't have any bodily awareness, how are you supposed to know where your heart rate is? How are you so, supposed to know how tight your rib cage is? How are you supposed to know how tight your neck is and where your shoulders are sitting and how you're supposed to be aware of the whispers that the body's telling you. And if you have no proprioception, you cannot hear the whispers, you cannot hear the yells, and then you only hear when the body screams. And usually when the body screams, it's too fucking late. <laughs> awesome, man. All right. Legs, legs 11. Up. Legs 11. Positivity. Positive is pretty straightforward. We just need a lot of it in our lives and also understanding that this is probably going back to the other one that we just added in of um, perception. Mm. Perception allows us to see negativity and positivity. But when we remember positivity in a physical state is 
parasympathetic. When we when we are focusing on negativity or when we're being aggressive to ourselves internally, like you're a piece of shit or come on, motherfucker, get out of bed. We've got to do this. That aggressive language is negative and the body starts to feel ill when it hears that. And so that, that you know, there's really, oh, I feel disgusting. I'm, I feel mm. awkward. I feel off. The, that's um that's unhealthy for the body so you can utilize it if you want to you know get into david goggins mode and i do it a lot and i'm like come on motherfucker let's go we're going to win this race kind of thing that's all great but use it strategically yep next one passion love what you do your emotional cup will add to your parasympathetic state and you need to find times and space in your life for you to have passion and receive passion, whether that's in your work, in how you treat people, how people treat you, how you surround yourself with others or your environment, whether you love nature, getting out in nature, if you need a, um, a, like, a tech, like a cyber detox or anything, or having the actual passion in your relationship. And another side note, in the bedroom, when we're talking about sexuality, mm-hmm. for men to become aroused, you have to be parasympathetic. You're and a fun- parasympathetic. Yeah, arousal comes in parasympathetic for males. I think it's the same for females, but what I do know for males, and this is not the same, oh, I don't know about females on this one, but ejaculation is sympathetic. Arousal is parasympathetic. And so what happens with males is we, we get aroused and we're like, oh yeah, baby, I'm in my zone and yep, we get all, yep. all moving yep. about. And then as we build up at that peak, sec- uh, peak sensual uh, peak, peak performance from out, right? Yep. Then when, when we hit our peak, we actually go, oh, 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 you know that, oh, oh. and then yeah, as we yeah. ejaculate, that's actually a stressful moment for us. So what we're actually doing is we're building our stress up and our whole body will contract and then we go, oh, oh, and then we will ejaculate. And then yeah. once that energy is released, we're in, oh, and we fall back into such a deep parasympathetic, we, we fall asleep. And so another side note mm. for the men who, for the men who are listening, if you want to prolong sex in the bedroom, learning how to control your heart rate and your breathing in order to stay parasympathetic will keep you from ejaculating. And so if you are strategic around how you control your breathing in the bedroom, and this is what all the yogic central uh, uh, Sutra dudes and all that. Yep. Yep. Tantra. It's all around breath work. It's all around breathing, but on a physiological standpoint, that's actually what's happening. And it's a very hard thing to do uh, for, for guys. And I still struggle with this, but being connected to my own breath and being connected to my own tension in my body whilst paying attention to the female's body and her energy and her breath. It's a lot to process being able to manage one's own emotions, one's own, one's own breath state once as well as hers and trying to, trying to uh, match those as well. It's a really beautiful thing when we can match those breath rates and um, that sensuality. It's very hard to do when like, I'm so fucking horny at the same time and actually having sex. And so it becomes a balancing act and learning how to become present in the bedroom is also a really fantastic experience. That's your passion, which then leads into the next one. Pleasure. Here we go. (laughs) Which it doesn't have to be in the bedroom related, but it just means having space in your life for doing shit you love. It's back to the same point is keeping your emotional cup topped up so that you can be happy. As long as you feel happy, you are able to exert yourself more. Okay. That's pleasure. Okay. 14. 14. Persistence. Persistence, this is more in terms of peak performance and also in terms of parasympathetic. Persistence means that you will oftenly, oftenly, you will often 
fall into sympathetic states and sympathetic is a, is a state of life. You can't avoid sympathetic, but if you need to be persistent with your journey of success, which you have to be because it's a long, long process, you need to learn how to be persistent by going in and out of sympathetic strategically. Yeah. Because when we train, my training right now is I'm deliberately going into, into sympathetic and then stepping back out of it and, and right. then going into recovery and then going into, into sympathetic, then going back into, into parasympathetic. So persistence is a never giving up, but persistence is also being aware that you can't be 100% in sympathetic the whole time. And also the vice versa. You can't be... It, in exactly right. 100%. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. If if you live if you're in, if you're in parasympathetic 100 percent of the time, you're not actually really living a realistic life, and you're probably not pushing yourself enough because growth usually yeah. comes from from you have to have a, a strategic exposure to sympathetic in order to grow. Which mm. is mentally, we need to go into stressful situations and then step out. Physically, we need to push our physiological capacity, which is to lift things we're not used to lifting and heavier weights, and then and that's what progressive overload is. You are over time, exposing yourself to stress and then pulling back to recover and then exposing yourself to stress and then pulling back to recover. And that's just mm-hmm. a, a complete metaphor for life yep. and business. Second last one, patience. Pretty straightforward is just having patience, understanding that this is a long journey and understanding that progressive overload is a thing is that you must be patient with only biting off as much as you can chew, but more importantly, biting off as much as you can digest right? Mentally, we can only digest so much information in one single day, i.e. don't read a book in a day. Give yourself the time. If it takes three months to read a book, give yourself three months. Who cares? Yeah. You're better off going slower and retaining the knowledge or retaining the growth rather than having to constantly two, four, you know, five steps forward, three steps back, five steps forward, three steps. You might as well just take two steps forward each time and, and save yourself the walking backwards. Yep. That's patience. And the very last one is pace is pace yourself in terms of, you know, I, now I do endurance sport and I, I do do long runs. I did a, like a PB, I raced on the weekend. I did a big 16 K trail race and um, I did it. It was actually when pace popped in my head when I was doing this race, I was like, running through the bush and I was going to go remember this one for Luke, like write this in my notes, but is to pace myself and to realize that for me, my peak performance was actually going at a pace that I was comfortable at because it was actually called King of the Mountain. I had to fucking run up and down on these hills and it was hectic. But when I was running, the first six Ks was all rolling hills. It was all pretty flat. And I'm, I'm normally like, go, 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 go. But in this race, I was running and I was just like, hold the pace, stay comfortable because I knew that hills were coming. And I was lucky enough that I knew hills. Well, it, it was in the name. The race is called King of the Mountain. But when I got to the hills, they were literally three times as steep as I thought they were going to be. And yeah. because I had paced myself when I got to those hills, I was able to fly up those hills and actually I actually did it way better than I thought I was because I mentally took my time and I was okay to know that even though I feel comfortable right now, I am going as fast as I can because mm. even though I could have physically gone faster, it meant I would have been walking at the end of the race. And I didn't, I didn't walk. And so, so that's, that's the metaphor for the race. But pacing yeah. yourself is knowing that, if we go too hard too soon, we're not keeping ourselves in mind that during every day, distractions happen, setbacks happen. And if we try and live every single day, like it's going to be a perfect day, every time we get thrown a curveball, it's going to fuck us up and it's going to exhaust us because we've already, we've already deployed all our resources. We've already deployed our army. We've already deployed all our skills. So pacing yourself is knowing that this is going to be a long journey and mm-hmm. that 
peak performance is not actually full sprint. Peak performance is behind a full sprint where you can actually hold something at a steady pace and still be ready for distractions or whatever. And if you get to towards the end of the day and you've had a great day, then you can send the last couple of hours and smash out whatever work you need to do or do whatever it is. You know what I mean? And it's just being considerate of your own energy levels to not sprint out the gates every single day. Or when you jump into a business, you're like, I'm going to do this, go hard or go home. That's what I did. And I'm paying the price for it. That's why I'm yeah. so stressed all the time because a lot of aftermath of my earlier decisions in business. Mm-hmm. And so we're really working towards uh, having more of a mature approach to our energy levels and that's pace. Nice man, mate. That's 16. Didn't you say you had 19? Yeah, I think I did. I count it wrong. I must have counted. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I did count 19. What have I done? 19. The first four was posture, pa- posture, performance, power, and posterior chain. That was the first oh, four. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I only put that down as posture. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that. I'm, I'm counting that as four. I hope I haven't. I nice, haven't. No, nah, we got it. We got it. We I got hope it. I haven't misled the audience. My Is apologies. this the first time you've released these 19 out to the? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 literally written in in my um. I've just got on my Google Calendar Luke Page podcast, and yeah. then uh, I've just written all these notes in it, and it's just posture, performance, power, posterior chain. It's just just all words. It's cool, and man. Then, well, when you when you present this to a made like a massive audience <laughs> of thousands, this room <laughs> where you first released it. Yeah, I'll shout. Out, I'll shout out Luke Page and all the audience members that listen to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, mate. Um, I tell you what, I reckon. Um, I reckon Joe Rogan would be proud of our. Yeah, he would. Yeah, podcast. we did two hours. Yeah, we did two hours. I'm, I'm stoked to that. I've never done two hours before. I think the last. Um, yeah, oh. we capped out about an hour. We were about an hour. Yeah, oh, I, think I think it was like about an hour, maybe an hour. Hour, hour, hour twelve, I think maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think that Something. was the longest back then. So maybe right. breaking records every time. That's why That's I got me. You back I just, on. I'm, I'm the shit talker. I love talking shit. Love what I do. It's good, man. I I always have fun, man. So uh, yeah. anyone listen, where can they find you? Uh, the best place to find me is on my Instagram. That's where I'm most active. I am the Joshua Hardy, which is T-H-E-J-O-S-H-U-A-H-A-R-D-Y. And if you are curious to see the gym, um, we are called Strength and Motion Academy. We're in Midvale, which is pretty much Perth, WA. And um, our in Instagram in Australia. Yep. yep. Our Instagram handle is at Smacademy AUS, which is S-M-A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. AUS and you can, Sick, you can see what we we'll, get up to. We'll pop all those in the, the show notes as well. If you can beautiful. send those through to me, Joshy. Yeah, beautiful. I will. I will. But again, man, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing everything. Your, you know, your, your knowledge is, is awesome. I mean, I don't know what I love about you is you, um, you know, you said about the authenticity is that you just, you're sharing everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I love about it. It's just like, you know, it, I said at the start, when it comes to health, what I've grown up with, it's almost like, well, to be healthy, you got to be eating right. You got to be putting yeah, the right yeah. things in your body. And then I think when you said around, you know, we we have something. We all have something that's kind of fucking us up, or we're abusing yeah. something. And it is so true. It is so true. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, you know, that was something that I talked to one of my clients the other day. He he is he had a break, and then he called me up, and he's like, "Bro, mm. I need I need coaching again." Like, I'm I'm so sick of this. I'm lying to myself. I'm bullshitting myself. I'm doing this, and I was like, "Bro." Just so you know, be aware that when you use this aggressive language, you're also engaging in toxic internal, you're engaging a toxic internal environment and you can actually continue making yourself sick by thinking this way. So stop being so hard on yourself because you have 
so much awareness of your own potential. And when that's not being met, you're being really hard on yourself. And I can see that because I do that to myself. And it's a paradox when we're talking in terms of health, because health is about paying, paying sip, sip, about staying parasympathetic. And if yeah. we're too hard on ourselves, we're too aggressive, then we're constantly stressing ourselves out and wasting our own resources on ourselves. Awesome, man. You know what? I didn't even, um, I, I had a, a thoughts of what this session was going to go like and it, it was yeah. completely opposite and that just yeah. makes me happy. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So thanks, look, bro. thanks for having me. Always happy to connect in the future and, 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 and yeah, and um, thanks to your audience for um, giving me your ears. Man, I'm sure there's going to be a part three. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll looking forward to reach it. out to you in a number of months. Sounds good, man. Keen, always keen. Thanks, Josh. I'll yeah. catch you soon. Yeah. Uh, health and happiness, man. Take care. See you, bro. Hey there, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure you click subscribe to stay up to date with podcasts that I release every couple of weeks. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please, I really, really appreciate it if you leave me a review. And you can also find me on Instagram at Luke underscore page.